Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Let me shut this other thing off here. Stop. 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 Dang, iPad. Whatever you do, don't press the big red button. <laughs> All right, welcome to episode 298. Did I get that right? Yes. 298. We made it. Another week. Let's see. Let me push this button over here. I should mention we did have an interview planned for today, um, but it, it, it's going to be postponed. Just we couldn't connect. I was too busy with work to contact, and I guess he didn't see the email. So we'll reschedule of that. Uh, we'll keep you posted. Next week's Especially, interview still on though. Curtis, you need to make Coco Nation priority over your work. <laughs> well, both both of us kind of missed the ball on that one. It wasn't just me. <laughs> yeah, share the blame. So yeah. we're gonna have, we're gonna have to make uh, Coco Nation pay better. Well, talk to Terry about that. I don't. <laughs> I don't handle that side of the. Of the... I, so... I, I believe that that's what they call a division by zero error. <laughs> <laughs> Let's well, see. We're in trouble because I thought that's all Grant did. <laughs> Cut paychecks. Oh, sorry. I guess they got lost in the mail. Well, he is. He's, I mean, Grant's certainly not here to be pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, panel introductions. I thought he was pretty petty. First up, we have yeah. Rick Uland. Well, now I know why they're paying me twice as much. Howdy, folks. <laughs> yep. That's twice in a row you were first up, weren't you? I don't remember. All right, next over, Grant Leedy. Hello, everybody. I'm just showing off my sexy T-shirt today. <laughs> okay. Good job. Oh, boy. I'm glad that's where he went. Oh, and also, I just want to add, too, if you're from the state of Ohio, I do not like you this week. <laughs> Kitty goes now. Is a small thing or something? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Care to elaborate? Uh, because Don't worry, no one likes you anyway, Cincinnati. Kitty go meow. Yeah, we're playing the Cincinnati <laughs> Bengals tomorrow, so. Oh, who cares about football? Oh, this is sports ball. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not hockey, so it doesn't matter. That's right, eh? <laughs> Curling and, for the win. And, and next up, we may or may not have Brian Schubring. Hello, everybody. Hey, it worked. Yeah, it worked, and there's my cocoa. All right. <laughs> Good job. Next over, yours truly, and I also got a shirt in the mail. Woohoo! Yay. All right, next up. Who also has a gray shirt on, Mark Overhoser. It's a NASA one, though. Uh, space flight. Hey, all good. Uh, did you see Curious Mark this week? 
Oh, okay. Part 29 of the uh, Apollo Guidance Computer. Cool. Uh, cool. Let's see. Next up, Sloopy Malibu. Greetings. And next over, GMRI. Howdy, Coco Nation. And L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. Next row, Round Elvo. Hello. Uh, this is what COVID looks like. Like an audio spectrum nice. analyzer. Is that mounting your vitals in the back there? What is it? Yeah. <laughs> He's in the yellow. Careful. Well, we might like it. Help. Help. We might like this help. better. Is that flatlined now? <laughs> <laughs> it does look kind of froze back there, doesn't it? <laughs> no, that's it's the picture. <laughs> it's a photograph. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> well, I like one of those stereo opticon things. That's all your stereo <laughs> opticon images of the Crimean War, yes. Okay, let's see. Next up, uh, Brian Weasler. Hello, all. How are you doing? Okay, pretty good. Uh, Ken Waters. Hello, everybody. Looks like you got the weed shirt today. Yep. <laughs> Nothing's in bloom. <laughs> uh, let's see. Jason Reichard. Howdy, howdy. And I've got my Diet Dr. Pepper and water, just in case David Ladd doesn't show up. Okay. Big deal. And the guy driving on the wrong side of the road, Terry Stiggy. Luckily, I'm not driving today. I'm being chauffeured. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. And last, Welcome, but everybody. Not, last but not least, Nick Marentes. Uh, good day, everyone. I was uh, surprised. Uh, I, I liked the uh, intro to the show. That it was quite professional. I thought I was on the wrong show for a while there. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. We've got a few good compliments on that intro, so props out. Who created that again? Was that Terry? No, I think that was... Uh, yeah, I, I did. Bruce? Oh, dear. Well, was it? I thought it was Bruce. Nope, I made... The, well, which one are you talking about? The, the, the one five the minutes before? No, the, the actual show intro. Oh, sorry. Intro. Nope, that wasn't me. Oh, the whole hey, thing, really. The whole... Ooh. Yeah, everything, I guess. Uh, well, yeah, it's kind of like the pre-roll, you know, wait yeah, the until the show starts. The yeah. Show yeah. intro, everything. It all looked fairly uh, pro. That's why I thought I was on the wrong show. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll try. We'll try to fix it. Others yeah, make I'll make it. a semi-graphic score one for you next week, Nick. <laughs> Six, he said it was the pre-intro I was talking about. That was Terry. Ah, yeah, Terry. Okay, uh, let's see. That takes care of the introductions. And first up today, we're going to do updates and acquisitions because Brian Weasler, where'd you go? Oh, there you are. <laughs> he, he had to pull the semi truck around. He did the, the Coco convoy. <laughs> uh, let's see. What do I need to do here? Oh. Uh, are you okay I'm over sorry. there, Mark? Yeah, I'm just... Uh, He's just really having a stroke. Don't mind him. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> All right. There we go. I just couldn't... He kept moving around on me. I couldn't find him. Oh, okay. And I guess while that's going on, I'll make some co-hosts. There you go. 
Oh, first of all, I was just going to show, I know uh, uh, Grant and uh, Mark, I think you, you had a show or a t-shirt there. I, here's the, here's the one I got. I got the blue version of the, the Cocoa Fest one. So, yep. and uh, you can order yours. Um, Mark, uh, I, I can have Mark uh, drop that in there at the Glenside CC My Spread Shop. Is that right? Dot com. Yep. I'll yep. It's not right there. So in a moment. Yeah. There They're really nice t-shirts. I have to say. I don't know if, if Grant was an uh, integral in the uh, decision making there with the quality of the t-shirt, but uh, the logos have all been nice. The ones that were all submitted and everything, so it was hard to kind of decide which ones to get. So, how long did it take for you to get yours? Uh, I'd say just about two weeks. Okay, that's what mine is too. And just to let you yeah, know too, but, uh, if you don't want t-shirts, you could buy coffee mugs and all sorts of other stuff too. So, oh yeah, lots of different colors of shirts from pretty much anything that you want. So, whatever's your favorite, you can get. So. Um, first of all, I was just going to show one quick thing and then I'm going to get into this one, uh, one, uh, uh, one item here that I think you guys will have, uh, enjoy seeing there. Let me switch my camera. And as promised, I have a better camera. <laughs> so hopefully when you guys are seeing stuff, things will be in focus. Okay. Let's see here. Let me, I even have buttons I can press so I can auto zoom in on stuff and everything. So, um, Fancy. So uh, you guys may recognize this here. This yep. is the uh, uh, oh shoot the MX, uh, MCX uh, 32 S, uh, SD there that um, uh, the uh, Ed Snyder makes, and uh, I recently ordered one and uh, got one in. So I need to get that uh, get an SD card in there and get that fired up and start using it. That uh, from everything I've seen with people uh, posting stuff online, it really uh, it really makes the MC10 almost a, a fun machine to use there. So. And the games that they do. So it'd be fun to play with this, sir. So I'm going to enjoy that. I'm trying to but remember, the does that also have almost. the extended basic? You know, I, I'm not 100% sure on that one if it has the ROM in there. Yes, it does. Ron, do you remember? Does it? Uh, or yes, it does. Jason? Okay. Soupy Soop, just said it does. No, no, so, yeah. Soupy said it. So it has the MCX basic in it then. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, and uh, I, like always there, it's an excellent product that, uh, that Ed always... Uh, puts out there so it's nicer nice to see him putting some uh, items back out there in inventory as well so i'm gonna guess it's sold out again already though right no actually uh if i make one comment uh, they probably will be before the end of the day i think there's four or there's three four available, available right now i'm just looking at them three <laughs> two one gone <laughs> we, we got a comment from karen in the chat here he said robert sieg has just posted recently posted that uh the board gerbers and programming files for the mcx32 sd have been released Oh, so if you if you can't get it because it's sold out again and, you know, it takes Ed sometimes a while to get back to doing a product again because he has so many he has to cycle through. If you have the capability of making your own, like as, as far as skill wise, which means I wouldn't, um, you can Not actually unless get you want your hair in it. <laughs> no, it, it wouldn't even work. It would be a melted slag. Of <laughs> well, plastic. I didn't say it would work. It just had, would have burnt hair in it. <laughs> it would be fuzzy. Yeah. <laughs> so this this next thing I'd like to show you guys. Um, uh, it's a, it's a really cool thing there. And, uh, uh, I just, I, I just can't believe how many of these, I don't know how many of these were out there, but it's very interesting, but I thought I'd kind of make a little bit of a game out of it here and, uh, show you all the different pieces that go with this thing. Um, and, uh, to see who might guess what it is first as I start showing the pieces there. So I'll kind of show all the different pieces. And if you know what it is, then speak up and we'll, and then I'll just show the rest of it then. But in the meantime, it's a, it's a desk. It's a desk. Yes. <laughs> Bingo. A, swimming a piece desk. of tape. <laughs> a piece of tape. There we go. Looks okay. Like, so looks like seventies, maybe eighties. 
the first item I'm going to show you is a, it comes with a pair of resistors. Not much to, not much to go on. Shiny bag. (laughs) You can barely see the resistors there. It's, it's a disc controller kit. There we go. (laughs) Here. We'll zoom in a little bit closer there. There we go. No, it's not there a disc go. controller. Oh, there now you can even now you can probably even figure out what value it is too. There, so there we go. Eight hundred and twenty, maybe eight hundred and twenty <laughs> ohm. I don't. Here's uh, it also comes with some uh, some diodes in this the kit. Eggs. There you go. Oh, it's not and a disc controller kit. Not a disc controller kit. Nope. Okay. So here is a bag of capacitors. Mm. A dragon motherboard. Nope. No dragon motherboard. <laughs> is, nope. It a, is it a Coco 2 kit? Bingo. Is it a Ron reproduction got RS-232 card? Ron Ron guessed it. So he didn't so get very far into the thing. So yes. This is one, one of the uh, educational ones. All right. I'll give you kits. my address where you can send it to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So right. Will so you assemble it. So you have to assemble it. And uh, the reason I sent a message to Brian Shubring is, Brian, I believe you have one of these, correct? He's mute. He's mute. Not, okay. not anymore. Okay. Not anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Uh, no, no, no. I'm not muted anymore. Um, I don't have a Coco 2 kit. I thought you had one of the educational kits that you showed. That you uh, you had like the manual, mm. the assembly manual or something for it. I think that was for... The um thing from uh what oh what was it the uh, learning uh, center stuff uh, um McGraw Hill oh okay yeah McGraw Hill was yeah for some reason I thought you had one of those so I was gonna that's why I sent you a message there to say uh, <laughs> that, you, that you were out of the guessing there because I didn't want you to pipe up right off the bat when you saw the bag there so so anyway kind of continuing back with this then so. Uh, in this kit, it's kind of cool. They have uh, they they have all the resistors together as a package, and then they got some diodes. Um, you already saw the other one. Here's another kit that comes with it. Uh, you have a little uh, resistor array and a whole bag of other resistors. You can see that every bag has its own labeled number and everything. Um, here's a here's another bag. I haven't opened up any of these bags yet. I've kind of kept it all together, but. Uh, Here's like the reset button. Here's the the infamous relay that we always uh, hear the the good old clicky click. Um, some, here's some diodes. Here's the uh, the uh, is that the crystal? Yep, that's the crystal right there. Brian, I just wanted to mention uh, we might have had a tie on who guessed that because Steve Rasmussen, Buck Owens in the chat also said it was the Cocoa Two Kit. Oh, I think okay. they've got a lag on the chat, so he, oh, I, maybe. <laughs> I think we'll give them both the win on that. One. Oh, so wow. we'll have to go back and uh, do a little. T- about to do our instant replay. <laughs> well, I don't know why it's kind of hard to tell. So, hundred percent new unused Sam, hundred percent new unused uh, VDG. I mean, this is about as close you can come to a a a virgin cocoa as a uh, as you can get, I would guess. So, um, so when so, you when you when you say it's a cocoa two kit, does it is this a kit that Tandy used to sell? Yes. Yes. Yep. Oh, it's a For the educational market. Right. Okay. So here's all the uh, the different DIN plugs. Here's the like uh, the part the of some edu- electronics educational package. You actually built your own Coco too. Here's the uh, the edge connector there, um, and the different DIN plugs. Why didn't you show us the case first? Then we could have guessed it easier. <laughs> I think there was a point. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, 
So here's okay. uh here's some of the clips that uh, that that go on there to hold the, uh, the, the insulator, the the spring for the uh, for the side door. Here's the uh, the ROM cartridge door. Um, it even uh, here's the oh the badge. Oh, the unstuck badge. badge. The badge is in there, and I believe let's see here. Uh, that's Are the, you sure that's this the, is new? The copper foil mm. that's in there. Uh, here's the the screws. Hey, Brian, are you sure this is new and not a used one that somebody disassembled to send you? You'll see here in a moment. So, yeah, here's even the here's the power supply kit. So some of the longer screws, some extra caps. Uh, I don't know if it's coming through there. There's the heat sink. And the, here's this is the power cord right here. Does it have instructions? Yep. Does it <laughs> say the one? So this hey, is going to be one of the early Coco 2s. Does it Mike say Miller says, 60, it's a 64K one. The name badge says so. Does it say anything about having parts left over? <laughs> what, what to do? Forget the warranty badge. We got a lot of potential here to <laughs> mark. Hey, Brian. Yep. Yep. Mike Miller says, uh, come on, get to the money shot. Let's see the motherboard. Okay. Yep. Well, I've saved the best for last, actually. So um, here's the uh, the RF box there. Um, it even comes with the, the, the cord that goes with it and everything. And Where's even the, the sound chip? So, oh, that's right. Here's the module that uh, <laughs> you remember the switch box that's not coming through very good, but you know that you'd switch. Oh, between. there it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. The cleanest one you'll ever find, still sealed in hermetically plastic. <laughs> yeah. So, was it genuine? Include, here. Did they include a warranty sticker? Uh, oh, yeah. I was I was trying to find out and see if that was in there. <laughs> so here's a. I doubt here, it. Here's all the different chips, sockets. Chips. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the sockets. Yep. Double white at least. And, and here's the the bag of chips. So I'm assuming Sorry. one of these is probably the all the different chips that you got there. So mm -hmm. yeah, probably the one that says uh, 0809 is probably the CPU. I'm guessing. Yep. And at the top. So are you going to build this? Assemble this? No. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I would be works. I would be tempted, but I but uh, no, this I is uh, this will stay the way that it is. Once you get the second, oh, thank goodness, I was getting nervous there. That's just, <laughs> no, put it there, there's a lot of things like this, like the old Heath kit stuff. From back mm -hmm. in the day is is yep. and is it, as far as value goes, is worth more unassembled than it is assembled. Yeah. But just from mm -hmm. a nostalgia point, this is even better unassembled. Oh, exactly. There's enough <laughs> built Coco twos. There's no reason to build this one. Just right. leave Here's it the, as is. And it's right. just like the, the one from Revenge of the Nerds. It has no name badge. New keyboard in the bag. Do you think the keyboard yep. works? Well, I'm sure. So that's here. There we go. Yes. So. It comes in the case. The, it's not even on there. This case is completely just really <laughs> clean. It's nice and white. I will say that. Yep. So here's the, the keyboard. And it's like a... most of our cases where the screws aren't in it. You can just lift the top off. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> and that keyboard has not begun to oxidize, I would guess. Right. <laughs> and here's the, the here's even the, uh, the little RF shield. Unused. And yeah. uh, underneath, here's, this is the, here's your the transformer. Why is that copper or colored? It's a different color. Yeah, it's, it's silver on the bottom and then gold on the other side here. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's normal. Okay. Let me move this. You don't the want the here. side towards the, the the circuit board to be conductive. That would be bad. And then here's the. Uh, let me uh, go one shot in here real quick. There. Ooh, Maybe this might be too close, but uh, there sure we go. looks tiny, don't it? So yeah, it's all silk screen and everything. Never been soldered on or anything. You know, a With, nice photocopy of that. Inside the even inside the bag, just a nice scan of that might be valuable. Okay, yeah, I can do that. There's a perfect cocoa board that's never. Oh wait, here. Oh, it's here open. The, yeah, the bag is open on the one end there. So there we go. I'll go ahead and slide that out. 
So yeah, that would be a cool historical thing. Is this is a production cocoa board? Just you know, real high res picture of it. Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice to have. No budget. Is it? Turn that into a Gerber file. Oh, sorry. It's a it's a B board, Rev B. Ah. Oh, with the vertical uh, RF case. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You said you got instructions with this for putting it together too, right? Yep. Let me. Uh, Do you have to put that. any bodge wires in? <laughs> yeah, I, mm-hmm. I haven't read the whole. I haven't read the whole manual yet, but uh, let's see here. Let me switch things around a little <clears> bit. <throat> Did they uh, do a Coco Three version of this as well? Not, no, I don't. I don't know. No, so no. it even comes with the. Uh, oh, you get the books. Get the books and everything. You didn't have to assemble though. Nope. <laughs> and where, where'd the, you uh, find this? What's that? Um, where did you find it? <laughs> I, I, I hate to admit this, but um. I'm not 100% sure this came with that large lot that I bought uh, because it was uh, where I have all my my stuff uh, stored right now. This box was uh, not with the rest of the stuff. So I don't know if it's something that was with it and I set it there. My first thought was, and I hate to admit this, um, I scrolled back through my purchasing history and I thought that this box, because I actually stumbled across this a week ago, and I was opening the box and I was looking at it. And it's like, what is this? And then I suddenly realized what it was that I had in my hand and I about dropped it. Um, and I couldn't remember if this came with that, that large lot that I had bought or my original thought was that I had you bought this. It. I know <laughs> <laughs> I had bought a Coco two online because it was in box and everything. And, uh, never opened it i hate to admit that but never opened it. i figured it is, i was gonna like because I, I bought it because i've been trying to buy machines but if i if i bought this it had to been over two years ago that i maybe had this and not even realized it what was this all in a regular computer two box yeah i can show you the box here in a second too so i i think this was part of the kit and or part of the lot that i bought and i just set it aside and just was gonna hey, look jason at it you got a question i can see you keep trying to say something here <laughs> I, 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 you know, uh, I think this just proves, Brian, that you need to admit yes. that you have a problem. I do. That's why. That's why I say I, I hate like, to admit it. I bought I, this awesome kit, and I just don't remember when or where. I, or how I, long I, ago? How long? Yeah, it's yeah. sleep. Oh, okay. Wow. I think I think we really need to have Brian. an intervention here with Brian. <laughs> that's why Schedule I was kind intervention of on Saturday. Brian, there's a question from Steve Rasmussen. Is it, are these instructions the ones you're showing on screen right now? Yes. Do you know if these are on the archive? Because this is a fairly uh, rare package. No, I, I don't know if it is or not, but this this certainly would be easy to uh, to scan in here. So um, it starts out with, uh, you know, basically part one preparation. It has like an inventory of all the uh, all the different parts. And then... Uh, and here, uh, for you, Curtis, soldering tips right here. Um, <laughs> it needs to be a lot bigger hair. section than that for me. Soldering <laughs> tip. Please note, L. Curtis Boyle, stop here. <laughs> well, basically the saying, you know, hire somebody. Cut that, hair off. <laughs> your name is L. Curtis Boyle. Stop. Just stop. Yeah. Just just hire so, somebody. So you start with the power supply, huh? Yeah, let's say go through the power supply and start doing some assembling. Yeah. And... Make sure you aren't going to zap all your chips with your crappy misbuilt power supply right <laughs> so build it first test it and then put the delicate stuff in that makes 
But yeah, this would be uh, this would be easy to scan in because it might be uh, fun to uh, to read and, like you said, just to have it archived for. Yes. Oh yeah, that definitely needs to be in the archive if it's not there. Well, like Tandy's production values of, okay, we're going to draw the diagrams, but then we're just going to type it up. Let's let me get all the way to the back here. Just I'm kind of <laughs> kind of skipping a little bit here, but uh, is that even a typewriter or is that like a dot matrix print? No, it's a typewriter. They they typed oh, okay. all the Tandy's documentation homemade was typewritten, but they had beautiful drawings. <laughs> Okay, it looks like this is kind of a checklist of some things that you need to probably. You know, let's know they're putting the putting the badge on. There's a, a assembling the the ROM there. So, but how many uh, pages is that manual? Just out of curiosity, it looks like it's actually pretty fairly thick. It's not like square bound or something, but 110. 110. Holy cow! Yeah. Wow. Uh, and there's plenty of pictures for for the folks out there. Let's see. Here, and uh, Ron was asking about this question here. Let me uh, move this here. Hey Mike Miller, which uh, which photos do you want, or photo of what? So here's the, it. Even has the even has the styrofoam blocks, and uh, <laughs> let me uh, play box. Let me get the the box is not pristine, but uh, it's a little 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 browned in spots and stuff like that, but I don't know if this is going to come through or not. My camera is probably not going to go high enough, but on the edge here, it does say it. Yeah. You can cut. You can kind of see it there. I'll go ahead and read it here. Um, it's catalog number twenty six zero. It's a thirty one twenty six, and um, it's a sixty four k extended kit. It actually says kit on the side of the box. So cool, extended oh, nice. kit. Wow. So other than What's that, it looks the serial like a serial number. number. Yeah, does it have a serial number plate? No, you know, I haven't found that. No, I haven't been able to locate the let me look here again. So here's the oh, serial number, nothing. Not stuck on the bottom of the case? No, the, the bottom of the case is blank. Well, no, because it was never made. Mm. It's just parts. So it has no serial number. That actually makes yes, sense. that means there's no warranty sticker either. Right. Yeah, no, yeah it was never made. This is not a cocoa. This is a bunch of parts. It's a kit. Right, it has the has the rubber feet in there and stuff. But mm. uh, as I'm, no, I don't, I don't even see a warranty sticker or anything like that. So no, nope. just uh, just a label. Marco, have you seen? Is Mark Siegel in the chat today? Yes, yes. I was wondering, Mark, if if you know how many of these kits were sold for the educational market. I'm just curious, like how many know. of these were made. And can I get one? <laughs> I just want to see it. I want to lay it. Lay it out on a piece of board and put a piece of plexiglass in front of it. And like David Craker said, this is likely I, I the coolest that. thing he'll see today. And um, I, I just wonder if he's watching the same program. So if this <laughs> color computer is assembled, it wouldn't have a sticker on the bottom with the uh, 26 dash number, right? Correct. No. Nope. Or the right. or the warranty sticker. Mark Siegel says no idea. Hmm. Hmm. <clears throat> so, yeah, that was a. Uh, and so kind of back to back to Nick's question there, I kind of laughed a little bit because I was kind of embarrassed when I started thinking about it. It's like, did I buy this uh, from somebody um, and then just put it on my shelf with the rest of my Cocos and uh, uh, was going to look at it at a later time and didn't realize what I had, nor did the person realize what they had oh. and they sold it to me? Or yeah, was this in with the lot? I'm, I was actually been chatting with the guy and... Uh, he said it sounded familiar, but uh, the inventory spreadsheet that he provided me when I uh, when I got the uh, 
when I bought the lot from him, um, I can't find a mention of it in the spreadsheet. So it's a so I I, I hope it was with the lot because I I would be less embarrassed um, rather than <laughs> knowing that I might have bought something and completely forgot that I had it and been sitting on a shelf for two years. So, there, there's a comment from Steve Rasmussen, Buck Owens, again in the chat. He says, mine has no sticker, so it sounds like he has one of these kits, too. Okay, who is that? Uh, Steve Rasmussen. He, oh, he's, he's known Buck as Buck Owens, Owens in, our, okay. <clears throat> in our game challenge stuff. Is his assembled? I We'll have to wait for his response. I got about a 10-second lag. In. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, you've got, to think, you've got to think some people put it together and then just operated it and, and just got mixed in with the general population, if you will. So Right. I mean, yeah, there may be some Cocos out there that are just... Uh, that are this. Yep. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I mean, if they send it to schools for people to learn electronics and stuff, then I imagine that would be some schools might have had these kicking around too, kept them around. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, they might, or uh, maybe they, probably. They may. Steve said, "Yes, this is assembled. He has all the bags." Mm. Oh, cool. No, eBay. Is there any other pieces that anybody wants to see a little bit closer at all, or? I'd like to so, see it all laid out. Give a moment to type the, at the fest. That yeah, I could, I could, uh, I could look at bringing this to the fest. Yep, I'm planning on being there. So, just something to look at that that no one has. Mm-hmm. Is anyone familiar with the pro, the television show Hoarders? Do they still have that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's filmed on location at Brian's house. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think there's like some kind of cash bonus if you can if you can recommend someone for the show. <laughs> <laughs> So no, I thought it would, I thought you guys would really get a kick out of it. I I was just tickled pink when I suddenly realized it was it's one of those it, it was like a, just a weird feeling and uh, um I was like because I opened the box and then the first thing that was sitting on top was this and it's like what is what is this I thought maybe I put some stuff in the wrong box thinking I just had a cocoa and I threw some stuff in there it's like I don't remember this and I start digging around and I start seeing this and then all of a sudden it was like oh my god and I just I I don't think I stopped laughing like a little girl for like. 10 minutes but mm-hmm. i was uh i was uh i was just yeah, i'm trying to remember these were only done with the coco twos i don't think even the coco ones had kits like this did they no that, these I, I know only, the threes didn't but i'm guessing I, it's a one-shot deal they you know i think zipster has one of the kits he got from somebody and then obviously buck owens does i've only heard of three or four people getting these so and they were just the coco twos well, I mean, I got to imagine that there was somebody that went through an electronics program and this was part of the deal for, mm-hmm. you know, for the, for the class, whatever. And they probably assembled it and took it home with them as part of the, just, you know, um, maybe they had to buy it, uh, you know, as part of the, part of the course and, uh, McGraw Hill. Okay. You think it's McGraw Hill? Yeah. Cause they had a, a Coco three, um, program. I don't know if this is the Coco that was, um, a, as a kit form. They had that. They also had an IBM machine. They also had the Atari, I think, 800. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so those are actual kits, Brian? Or? I don't know if the computers themselves were kits, but it's possible. I, tried well, I remember to you, you showed that off before where some like software for mm-hmm. stuff, doing stuff, but I don't remember. It yeah, it was, it was just the outboard so you can do the testing and knowing how to program the port uh, and the color computer using debug, color debug, and all that. Okay. So well, if I'm gonna bring this to the fest, maybe I should have gotten two tables, Grant, instead of one. So <laughs> I mean this this kit here is I don't think it's from McGraw because it's actually got a part number from Tandy up in the corner. So 
Yeah. <clears throat> and on the, and the box obviously says kit right from Radio Shack. So well, Brian, yeah, and just let you know we right do have, to mine. We have eight we have eight tables left. So if you need another one, book it now. <laughs> <laughs> I think Brian's table's right next to mine, isn't it? Yes, it is, Jason. <laughs> yep. Yep. That sounds convenient for you, Jason. Yeah, it is. That is <laughs> very convenient. Distract him and you'll uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what table numbers have some do you shiny have? aluminum foil for you, Brian, <laughs> over there. <laughs> Look, shiny thing. <laughs> Jason, I'm gonna run to the bathroom real quick. Could you watch my table for me? <laughs> Your table didn't go anywhere. <laughs> what's on it though? I don't know what happened. Right. So there was stuff on it. I don't what's a kid? <laughs> so anyway. No, I was uh, I'm glad to be able to show this with to you guys there today. So, yeah, I've heard about these, but I've never seen one. Especially, it's still in bags and stuff like uh, never, never touched. I've just uh, never, never had a chance to see one. I think they are quite rare. And, and I imagine you- most of them got assembled. I wonder how many were accidentally destroyed because somebody like me tried to solder stuff. <laughs> right, <laughs> probably ninety percent of them. <laughs> They were disposable when they were bought, they were disposable. So you went through your class, you screwed it up, you threw it away. Yeah, yeah. The bottom of the uh, here's the bottom of the case there, it's just uh, nothing there. Yeah, one of these things would really cause a a problem if one was ever auctioned off at Cocoa Fest since it doesn't have a uh, serial number. Did you find the bag with uh, soldering tips? No, 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 <laughs> that drive you nuts. Brian Blake is thinking maybe NTI, maybe where the kits came from. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were part of uh, McGraw Hill. Oh uh, no, no, I'm I'm sorry. Never mind. I take that back. Yeah, NRI. Yeah, I can get a. I get a scan of the board. Um, I can get a scan of the manual, and I could get that up to the archive there. Yeah, ch- check the archive cool. just in case somebody has scanned the manual before. I doubt it, but mm-hmm. I don't want you to waste like 110 pages. That's going to take you a while. But luckily, it, it's just stable. It's not perfect down, so you can scan it without killing it. So that's right. That's yep. nice. And your new camera. We had some compliments. Your new camera's working well. Yeah, good, good. good. <laughs> Things aren't going in and out of focus there. So, yeah. And it, uh, <laughs> well, they usually, they usually before on your old camera, they just went out of focus and stayed there. Right. <laughs> yeah, this, so this uh, is a lot better. Yeah, this one here, it's uh, not, to, not to go off subject, though, but. Uh, Takes it a second, but then it snaps in and it's good. Now, come on. That zooms in pretty good. There. Hey, by the way, Brian, Erica says, love the cleaned up visuals. So you have at least one fan with a new camera. There we go. <laughs> so yeah, I can really really zoom in with it. So look at that silk screen. Woo! I kind of like it because I can do three different presets of the uh, to, uh, to, to let it to let it go uh, to go to different uh, different angles and stuff. So yeah, yeah, that's a huge improvement. Good. <laughs> Glad. You have to go back and redo everything else you've shown now. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) From the top. There we go. Okay. Well, that's all I wanted to share with you guys today. Yeah. And uh, thanks for doing that. I know you're kind of pressed for time because you have to leave here pretty quickly, but that that was definitely worth it. Oh, good. And congratulations to Ron and Steve Rasmussen for guessing uh, what it it was very early on. Yeah. I'm sorry. No no prizes. So you just get bragging rights. So. Oh, that fits right into our prize budget then. (laughs) (laughs) 
Not even a Diet Dr. Pepper? With water. <laughs> and Mark Oberholzer, if, if you could convince um, Brian to actually assemble it, you could make that one of your tech segment things. <laughs> Just saying. I would, I would not ask him because uh, there's enough Cocoa Twos out there. You don't need to destroy this one. If anything, you'd want to assemble like a reproduction Cocoa 2 kit. Yeah, like one of Pedro's. Like Pedro's. Or a dragon, like, you know, uh, Justin's Ah. or uh, Karen's. Yep. Oh, and welcome, Bo Chaw. I just noticed you joined the call here. I imagine you have a drink in hand already. Uh, (laughs) Hello, everyone. Happy Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) Since we're in a hardware segment right now, um, I'd gotten an email from Jamco this week. They're having a clearance sale. Items they have on clearance are going to be the uh, 68B09, uh, 6551, and some, and some uh, RAM that we typically use. So now Ooh, may be the and time. That's clearance, so they'll be gone, gone when they're done. Is is that yeah. the newer uh, Western Digital or Western Design Center? Uh, didn't look that close on maybe. it. I'm not sure if they're the A's or not. It might be the old stock. Hard to say with so. the Jamco. But uh, yeah, you might want to check check that out before they all vanish. I think there were some uh, forty, what was it forty one four sixty fours were on the clearance also. Oh, the ones for the Coco three one twenty eight K and the Coco twos with the two chip. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. Stuff we can use. Nice. Yeah, so I might want to check that out before they uh, disappear. Okay, um, Mark. Since we kind of just did a, a hardware presentation thing, did you want to just finish? Updates and acquisitions right now sure. for anybody who has any before we go to commercial. Sure. Anybody else got some? Sure. I've got a couple I can throw up here. Um, uh, Care, careful with the word throw up. Well, put up. Oh, question from Mike Miller for you, Mark, here, while Rick's getting ready here. He's asking, is it 68B09Es or just regular 68B09s, which um, will not work in a Coco? I will have to go and double check. I just kind of glanced through it. I will mention, though, that I know Frank at Retro Rewind, he's actually got a supply for new 6309. So, I mean, we're not out right. CPUs. The rest of the chips, I don't know. But. but this may be a good place to collect all of your uh, Cocoa-era stuff because Jenko is, you know, it's a hobbyist supplier. So when they're sold out, it's going to get really hard for someone else to have it. So yeah. if you're thinking catch the sale, it's probably a good, good thing. If you're absolutely desperate, though, I I hear Brian Weasler might have some parts. (laughs) So I'm bringing it up on my other screen here. We got. But you'll uh, have to distract him from his table, though. And he has no idea where or when he got them. We got 28C256 EEPROMs, 2864s. I'll skip over the kind of non Cocoa stuff. So the 6551s uh, just says major brands, 28 pin dip. Uh, these looking real close at it doesn't seem to be the A variant. Uh, this one shows an AMI. Uh, uh, 41464 DRAM, which is the 64 by 4s, Z80 CPU. Yeah, 68B09E. Okay. For 795. In, uh, each. There you go, Mike. Yeah, so, so somebody can post the link link there, uh, Mark, into the general chat so anybody sure. who's interested in trying to grab those, they can sure. hit the site. And in the uh, meantime, no. we can 
Go to Rick.com. I uh, also want to say if anybody's looking for old hardware parts, I have a couple of really good sites for trying to search stuff out, know some places, and handle old stuff. So hit me up on Discord or whatever and just ask, and I'll see if I can do some searches or give you a link. Okay. Mark, if you can highlight Rick, then uh, Rick's got his little oh. presentation Sorry. to do. Oh. Uh, I just also saw the uh, uh, 18 Mega <clears throat> 328Us are on clearance. So ooh. How much? 675 and about double what they were a couple of years ago, but sure. Yes, yeah, the twenty-eight pin dip. Yep. Uh, um, I'm sorry. Who needs to be highlighted? Rick Euland. Who I can't because he's not showing video. Or can I'm I? here. I have. I'm oh, seeing him fine. Okay, there we go. Um, wrong, wrong, wrong one. person. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> There he is. That's why we can't have nice things. So anyway, I wasn't going to bring this up right away, but I started shooting my mouth off in Discord, so I might as well. Um, <laughs> because we can't buy any Atmel chips, worthy of note, I redrew the large MPI with service mount chips. And so I should be getting these next week, or the prototype next week. If it works, I'll make them. Um, it's got a lot of problems. These holes are probably too small. <laughs> it doesn't have a switch, but otherwise it's a large multi-pack. Not quite so large, if you'll notice. This is so, so I can't tell from your diagram here, but uh would be good if you had a uh, like a bank <laughs> of jumpers so that you could strap one or more of the uh these are the card jumpers. Okay. So if you jump doing the IRQ strap lines or yeah, yeah. IRQ straps. So so you can either let the let it be switched or IRQ strap it. There's no there's no physical switch on here. You can poke the slots, but this is just something to make multi-packs until we can get the Mega Minis and stuff back, which you can't buy the Atmel chips. I mean, yeah, you can buy them. You can buy three of them. But if you want to buy a board run, they aren't around yet. So this is just my, okay. my short-term fix. Um, next thing is I've been working on the Org 90, and the new chips I had, I wish I had a better picture, are surface mount chips. They are this. Oh gosh, oh gosh. Anyway, it's it's a tiny little surface mount chip and I had to bodge it. There you go. Had to bodge it into a four pin machine socket so I can actually continue work on the uh, project, which is way too much um, effort for a very small game, but now I have managed to fit these tiny little chips. Um, and then I just wanted to bring up uh, Connect's Coco Keyboard Compendium really quick, because I'm still working on reproducing every Coco keyboard in the world. And, keyboard uh, spelled wrong? No, it's spelled right. It's Coco. Connect's Coco Keyboard Compendium. Doesn't it make <laughs> <perfect> sense? <laughs> Too many Cs, I think. <laughs> Oh, no, that's, that's perfectly Australian right. Australian humor. Didn't, I, didn't it? Didn't make it to Australia. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought I thought it was upside down. <laughs> so anyway, so here's the one <clears throat> we have. This is the common full travel keyboard that everyone's got, and I have a kit for that. I found there's two kinds of melties. They look very similar. There's a little bit of change in the bezel, a little extra reinforcing on the sides, and some of the logos are a little different. 
If you flip it over, one's steel on the bottom, made in Japan, and one of them is made by AMP. I don't know if this A also means AMP, but here are two different melty keyboards out there that look almost the same from the top. And that hole in the middle of the board is supposed to be there. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then, so here's the one of them that, uh, let's see, which one's this? This is the one that I recently got from Ron, um, melty keyboard with a metal bottom, and it uses the Mylar sheet and little individual rubber domes. Um, here's the one I got from uh, Pedro. It looks very similar, but it has a um, circuit board kind of whatever. like or something? A metal sheet, something we don't know about. And so this is the one I'm still looking for parts for. But the spacing is the same. So I think I can use one board to cover both of these keyboards. That would be nice. And so then, that, uh, does that use screws to hold down or has that got the melting? No, they, these are melted, okay. but luckily it's melted plastic. So alternate mounting systems can be devised. Um, like a put drill a really, really small hole in each of the tops. Or, or a, a bar across the bottom to just clamp it down or something because we have these nice supports on both sides. So I, I can envision a, a solution here. Um, but this one, I don't know because I don't know. I'm just going to make something up. <laughs> um, and then last, I guess, um, this one from um, AC came up with this one, which is a little bit of a different take. It's phenolic on the bottom, but that actually is a circuit board. This is kind of an open switch design where there's a metal clicky plate. I had this in my D-board, Coco. I remember this one. The clicks down on here. Now, this is the one that I'm I'm hoping to make a new kit for because there's no real way to fix this. The kind of gold we can get now is not the kind of gold they had then. So we're not going to be able to just make this board and slap a new one on the bottom. It'll wear out in a week. So that's kind of what we're going for. Um, the main thing I wanted to bring up on this one is I like this little screw catcher here because if you lose any screws, you just roll it around for a while and you'll find all your screws again. A little... <laughs> The little donut magnet here, yeah, I've that around and all life is good. But yeah, it does I have the donuts. Uh, what I like about this thing is it has the this metal plate has a springiness to it. So yeah. no matter how hard you smash the switch, no matter how hard you smash the key, you aren't going to smash the switch any harder than this spring will push. So this one's eligible for fixing. Now these other couple, I don't know. You know, we're we're planning on. How springy is this rubber versus how hard is it going to push the key and how variable is your key spacing going to be? So if anyone has any ideas or any further info on these things, I'm just asking. And that's about all I have going on this week because I've broken everything else. <laughs> I would think on that one with the uh, rubber domes that the, if the domes got the carbon button in them. Well, the, the issue is, the amount of force pushed on the switch below because mm -hmm. they just push on a mylar, but the amount of force you can put is dependent on how stiff the rubber is. You can push the key down a certain amount and however stiff that rubber pushes, when you push it down that amount, that's how hard you push the switch. Well, the key switches I'm buying, you can only push them 60 grams or you lose your tummy in life cycles. And if you buy a more a stouter switch, it doesn't have as many life cycles in it. So, you know, I, 
I can buy a switch that you can't kill, but it only lasts 10,000 cycles, and that's not worth it for a keyboard. So, you know, it, it, it turned out to be really complicated. Um, I know Mark knows how to do it, but he has more engineering than me and probably a lot better help, too. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a little... Anyway, this is where we're at. Um, I'm hoping to come up with a couple more keyboard kits, and uh, there may be one or two that we just... You still need a Mylar F-board chiclet keyboard one? Because I have a spare I was going to bring to you at the fest. Uh, yes, I do, because I don't know the exact spacing on that. And we're talking a millimeter this way and that. So, Okay, I'll, I'll bring you that one. I've actually got it set aside already. So I appreciate it, because yeah, two, uh, two keyboards that look identical mm. may not be, depending on offsets and lever action. And Well, look at those two melted ones you, that look identical from first glance. Right, and mm. they're, they're way different. Anyway, um, that's... That's where I'm at, but I wanted Nick to know, hey, I built this tiny, tiny, teeny, tiny little thing here. All right, yeah. <laughs> it took me half a day to do it because, uh, huh, what a pain. And, Nick, you haven't received the, the first prototype from Rick yet, have you? Not yet, no. Oh, yeah, Australian mail. Did Bill ever it's get being delivered by a kangaroo, I believe. <laughs> what was that, Rick? Did Bill ever get my network card yet, or is that still... I don't know, because I haven't talked to Bill in probably two weeks, so... <laughs> okay, well, that may be part of it. <laughs> we all got too many things to do right now. So, Cool. Looks like you get a lot of hardware on the go there. That multi-pack has a stopgap with the IRQ tying, which is really nice for OS9. Well, yeah, and I just want, I just want something now, you know? I mean, when Atmel comes back, the Mega Minis and all that stuff will be available, but... But right now, the only way you could build one is to find parts by hand, build it by hand, carefully, you know, it's not something that's going to happen to sell 25 of them. If you want to make one, you can make one right now, but you aren't going to make a quantity. So this is my stop, yeah. Cool. The jump, jumper will strapping is nice, too, because then you can, like, strap two of the two of the cartridges and not the other two. Right. Yeah, because the one problem with strapping them all like we did at work, I mean, at work, we needed all the slots for IRQs. But if you have a rigor ROM pack cartridge, <clears throat> like a game, it would just sit there and auto-trigger constantly. Right, uh, so right. It just it would freeze the machine. So the master plan here is you can either strap it and include it, or you can leave it out and it's switchable. So you could still have it both ways. You could have, Yeah, so you can have like two or three slots with IRQ devices, like, you know, and still no hold floppy controllers. And, yeah. <laughs> And then you can have, uh, you know, Rad Warrior or uh, Predator, you know, just for David Lack. <laughs> Anybody else got any uh, project updates, acquisitions they want to talk about? I did some surf and I found something. And? <laughs> right there. What do you see? Uh, it's too small. I can't tell. Building? Oh, Tandy Education oh, Center. A real education center. Yay. <laughs> That's, That's where all the other kits are stored right now. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> exactly. So that's all I had. Or if that's still yeah. around. Is that where they this is current. Complain too much? This is current. It's actually a medical center. Oh, yeah. I was looking up stuff and kept running into them. <laughs> also, Steve Rasmussen, uh, Buck Owens in the chat, mentions that the MCX 32SD, another one has been sold during the show, so they're down to three left. So if you want one, you better get it fast. 
Is there a place you can go to? Yeah, that uh, was me. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Is there a place you can go to find out all the places that you can pre-order stuff that's going to be available at Cocoa Fest? Pre-order? No, I don't. Yeah, like Aaron told me, he's already reserved like eighty-seven things that are going to be for sale everywhere. (laughs) That would be a cool idea because I never know what to bring. Yeah, no, I've I've been I've been helping Aaron with that. I've just been contacting anything he wants. I've been contacting the suppliers since I know all of them anyway. Oh, and just okay. I didn't realize he had an in. That makes yeah. sense. <laughs> so, like, hint, hint, uh, but if you need anything like that, just let me know and I'll forward it on. Or you can just ask on the show since a lot of the suppliers are here right now. Yep. All right, and I, I think that is a good idea because, like, like you were saying, Rick, uh, it, it's nice to know what inventory you should be bringing rather than trying to fill up a car or worse yet a plane flight with a whole bunch of stuff that then you don't sell it. Speculation. Right. And then it gets lost. And then everyone wants one thing and you only brought three of them. So Yeah. Yep. That's not a bad idea. We should we should set up something like that for every fest, actually. Yeah, that'd a be a good idea. idea for the vendor page on the yeah, wish side. list. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, John. No problem, guys. So what did you want though? That's what I'm like I'm asking. <laughs> I depending I'm thinking about redoing the basement down here. So if you'll indulge me. I have this mantle over here. And the problem is, what I'd like to do is I'd like to line this wall. I'd like to take the boxed arcade marquees that are currently on either side of the the unused uh, fireplace and put those on a shelf, elevate it up, then take a bunch of these uh, $34.95 mainstays Walmart tables and maybe cut the legs off the back end so I can actually, like, put them, like, you know, get a little bit more purchase on this mantelpiece, like slide it back. So I, and, uh, and anyway, I want to fill up that whole, this whole wall right here with uh retro computing setups. I've discovered that I like having one table per setup. You can see my Atari uh, 1200XL setup right there. I like the idea of having, you know, a, a separate lamp for each system. Uh, just kind of make it a little bit more homey and less sort of like, here's a bunch of computers laid out. So anyway, this is a long way to go to get to this. Uh, I may be interested in buying a uh, some sort of Coco RGB CRT uh, to uh, complete my Coco setup. So you can be period correct type thing with an actual yeah period correct type thing, right? Okay. Well, if any of the vendors there or anybody listening uh, that's going to be at the fest has a a CM8 or a Magnavox eighty five fifteen or something like that that they want to sell to boat. Uh, Get in contact with them, or if you don't have a direct way to contact me, contact me and I'll pass it on. Uh, and if you want a CM8 with a door, it's going to cost you a lot more than one without. <laughs> yeah, I don't care about a door. My None of my 1702s have doors. I'm doorless. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine with a lot of people upgrading to like switcheroos and stuff now, and you know, because they want to get it on their big screen HDMI TVs, there might be a few available. So. I've gotten a CM8 and an audio, or not audio box, um, that other one. Magnavox, Sony. Magnavox, yes, yeah. Now there's a Magnavox that works well. A, a Commodore 1084 <laughs> will work well with the Coco 3. There's a few out there. Yep, so if anybody has one for, for both there... Uh... Get in, get in contact with him or get in contact with me and I'll pass it off to him, but uh, we'll see if we can arrange a deal. Let's make a deal. 
Anybody else have any updates or acquisitions they want to talk about before we go to a commercial break? Oh, I guess I have one thing I'll just show here real quick, just in case. I showed it to, to you guys beforehand with show, but uh-huh. I just want to let you know that it has officially been done. We are now officially the LLC. So oh, this, wow. This actually has all the paperwork for the uh, for the new company. So just thought I'd share that with everybody. So it's it's a done deal. Cool. What that means for those who aren't in the know, basically the Coco Nation show is actually a legal uh, entity, an LLC. So it's run by a board. So yep, and that will prevent boy, from, are we bored. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> prevent from what happened to us last year. So So we've been bought out by Disney anytime now. Yep. Right. <clears throat> you have to be a leveraged buyout. <laughs> cool. Well thank thanks for the update on that. <clears throat> Yeah, you, no you already mentioned there's only what six tables left at uh eight tables left eight tables left yeah. they're going as fast as that schneider's uh, mit, uh yeah. items <laughs> yeah they are definitely going fast so and also if you uh are still wanting to do a presentation let me know we still have a couple slots available too so dang it zoom why do you keep doing this to me <laughs> All right, let's, uh, I guess, go to the first commercial break. Sounds good. The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gayer, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Dinty's Hideaway, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Bateson, Terry Stege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., William A. Thing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Tesla Geek says, Hi everyone, I'm Alex G. My first computer was a Coco 3. I was a child and fairly sheltered about the Coco, so I wasn't fully aware of its capabilities but I loved it nevertheless and have many fond memories. I'm hoping to grow in my understanding and appreciation of it, as well as hopefully spark an interest in my daughter about computing. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Boys in Tech, Glenside Computer Club, Nightbeard, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. Because cocoing is better together.
welcome everybody to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This past two weeks we've played Buzzworm. We had a total of 13 players. So let's see how they did. We had Worm Food with 169. Mikey N6IL 250. David Ladd 4740. Rich N, 7225, Coconut Bob, 19680, Jim Rye, 23345, Sloopy Malibu, 25115, Flutterball, 29615, L. Curtis Boyle, 37620, Mr. Dave, 6309, 39570, Canadian Retro Things, 50410, Share Squid's Sun, 80,165. And the number one score Buck this week was Buck Owens with 112,650. Thanks, everybody that played, and we will see you again next week. The Coco Nation salutes Buck Owens. <laughs> that was well done. Wow. Somebody's allergic to the game on challenging. Come on, Buzzword wasn't that bad. I left my mic on. Sorry, folks. <laughs> okay. Um, as we said, we played Buzzworm this week, and uh, I couldn't find any high scores uh, listed in Rainbow, so I don't know how well Buck did. Compared to the people of yesterday, yesteryear, but I did find one review of it um, right here. And basically just tells about the uh, game and then um, the author complained that there's no pause in Buzzworm and thinks that should be added and that Buzzworm did not measure up to other Novasoft games. Um, it doesn't have the exciting pizzazz of the other games Novasoft has released. And uh, gave it a two-star rating, which is slightly below average. So was not overly impressed with this game. I'm just curious, who was the reviewer for that? Because Rainbow was, was you know infamously known for always giving positive reviews because they wanted advertisers. Patrick <clears throat> Downard. Which, I don't know if that's any relation the, to Dan Downard, one of the columnists. Well, the name is, uh, he's a he's a Downard. <laughs> he's down on it and he's a nerd is that what you're saying <laughs> anyway um, yeah so interesting that uh, it's one of the um, more negative reviews that I've seen in uh, uh, Rainbow before but uh, yeah I personally didn't think it was that bad of a game no, I didn't either I mean it's 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 pretty well nibbler from the arcade it's... I did see that a lot of people or a few people anyways were posting that they just they especially with the keyboard it was almost uncontrollable um i don't know now is that emulators versus real was. hardware because i did it not have might that kind be, of problem yeah i didn't have that problem at all so i'm wondering if yeah they just it was their emulators weren't running through the keyboard properly but definitely playing it keyboard versus joystick joystick was much better yeah, because I remember on the on the live challenge I was watching you guys, and I think it's Sloopy. Was it you that was having issues? You had to switch emulators for one of the games because of keyboard, keyboard controls. Control. Yeah. Um, 
That was the uh, Tetra, though. But I was okay. having control issues in Nibbler or on uh, Buzzworm. And and which which emulator were you using for that at the time? I was having control issues in both of them. Oh, and you tried what VCC and XOR, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, I couldn't play uh, Tetra at all in uh, in XOR and VCC. I was still having issues with it. Um, as for Buzzworm, it's I'm not sure what the deal with it is because last week I didn't have any problems with it, and this week I was having issues with it left and right. So, did you upgrade XOR 1.3? I'm just wondering if there's a bug report for Karen we might have to send him, or um, yeah, I need to send him a message and let him know what uh, what I saw. Yeah, I think he's in chat, so he probably already knows now. But. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Karen. Yeah, there was an issue. I'll uh, I'll get with you later for the details. Anyway, so yeah, I didn't have the uh, problems that other people were having, so I I didn't. I didn't either. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, it's the type of game I like because uh, you can certainly shut your brain off while playing it. So it's a good pass the time game. Um. Once you figure out kind of uh, uh, patterns to use to go through the levels, it gets a little bit easier because it just uh, it goes four levels, then there's a bonus level, then repeats. Yeah, and there's multiple different bonus levels too. Yeah, there's three different bonus levels. So there's uh, one where your snake just grows through the whole thing. His tail stays in the spot, the starting spot, and he just grows. And you have to figure out how many dots you can eat before you uh, run back into yourself. There's one where all the dots are invisible, and there's one where it goes really fast. So that's yeah. a that's a nice uh, nice thing to have different uh, bonus stages to make it to. Yeah, it's it it's it's a close copy. Like even the the maze setups on your different levels is pretty well the same as the arcade one I remember. And it, it wasn't a hugely and, popular arcade game, but yeah, I don't think I ever saw it in the arcade. So. Or if I did, I passed it by. Yeah, I didn't see it in the arcade either. Yeah, we had it here at Crazy Leo's Arcade, I think it was called. <laughs> Definitely in the 80s. Yep. Well, um, yeah, so tips and tricks of the game. As I said, just kind of memorize patterns, which was a uh, something you did in a lot of games back then. Um yeah, because there's nothing chasing you. So once you kind of figure out the maze and what order you go through so you don't bite yourself yeah. as you grow longer, you can pretty well ace them as long as you're not, like, missing the turns. And uh, if you're using the joystick, just... Uh, I did see that Buck Owens, I think it was, put in the uh, comments that uh, using a four-way joystick works a lot better than one of the uh, multi-way joysticks, the eight-way joysticks. Oh, Okay. I didn't didn't catch that because you only can go in the four different directions, so it's a little easier to get it in the proper direction to to make make the snake do what you want it to. So, yeah. And for boat, I I know you've complained that you know the uh, the cheap uh, games for the cocoa and stuff, and I think even with the Ataris and stuff, because I mean generally cheap games in the UK when you guys have talked about it on your shows have been like way cheap, like five bucks. And this one was actually for sale for like fifteen, I think, from the review. Fourteen ninety five and sixteen ninety five for the disc. Yeah, yeah so I mean, 
as a gamer, I would just be in perpetual anger <laughs> with, <laughs> with 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 the with these prices. I mean, especially when the alternative was you just pirate it. I mean, one way to tackle piracy is the iTunes thing. You know, you make that you make the game so cheap that it becomes an impulse buy. And uh, when you're marketing games on cassette or floppy disk, these are not valuable mediums. Um, but I guess maybe the people that were making these games either weren't business majors or sold enough that they were happy with, you know, if you can get three or four guys to pay 15 bucks, you know, that's, you know, you'd have to sell twice as many to get to make that amount if you sold them for half or whatever. So, yeah, because I, th- I think the North American market, I mean, that was cheap. 15 yeah, to 17, yeah, the, 16 the, bucks. the budget, the budget label, the budget thing didn't exist here like it did in England. Yeah. I mean, in England, mm-hmm. you had Spectrum games selling for two ninety nine, one ninety nine, and that's that's I mean, that's crazy cheap. That's Coco Fest blowout prices when the yeah. company's and going those out of games, business. And those games, in many cases, were quality game. I mean, quality in the same way that this is a quality game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Tom Mix, I mean, the owner of Novasoft, I think most of their games at the time were at least twenty four ninety five. If not twenty nine or thirty four, depending on the title, and usually they went really expensive when it was first released, one of their top tier games, and then you know a half a year, a year later they might drop it five bucks, but it would yeah. stay. A big thing too is that I think in the United States, a lot of home computer software was released out of comparatively small publishing houses. Oftentimes, the publishing house and the developing house Kitchen was the same. same. Right. Yeah, exactly. Developer, yeah. And so what would happen in the UK is games would have a release on a major publisher, say like, you know, Ocean or something like that. And then they would be re-released through uh, budget publishers like Imagine, who would go through and they would scoop up all of these aging titles and they would re-release them sometimes in bundles or sometimes just on their own. And uh, you would get sort of the what we would call the greatest hits version if you use like com- or modern console parlance. Yeah, the closest equipment we had to that here in the cocoa market specifically is that T&D software had their little tape magazine, this magazine that they sold for 10 years. And they actually bought the rights to a couple of the companies, including Tom Mix Novasoft, uh, both of them actually. So they would give their monthly magazine where they have some basic programs and utilities and everything else. But one Tom Mix game was thrown in mm-hmm. and those tapes were like, you know, four ninety five or something like that. Or you could buy a subscription for a year for like 60 bucks or something. Yeah, that's that's a pretty close analog, I would think. But I mean. The problem in the States is the market is so big that you can quickly exceed your capacity to produce. So there's no real reason to go cheap, to go large. You can sell more than you can make at full price. That's that's interesting. Do you think, Patrick, that they were that 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 was a, a situation that these publishers were running into? I maybe. I mean, as as kind of a hardware guy, I definitely did. So I I price think, to keep yeah. sales down because i really think that, that, that hardware is definitely a thing that you run into production issues surely there were and i don't know and i don't know i mean does anybody know where you would go to get your games duplicate i mean were there services where you could send a disc off you know duplication services or was this literally tom mix in his basement making copies of discs right I mean, some people, stuff. some of the bigger companies did buy tape duplicators. Rainbow had one for making the rainbow on tape, but they had, I can would have made like a dozen at a time. Single but I know a time. lot of the things I bought appeared to have been made well, but made locally, you know, sure. made by sure. three guys in the basement. I don't know, but I think it depends on the scale of the company, like an adventure or national or Tandy or rainbow or somebody, I think did have tape duplicators, high speed ones. So you could do masses of tapes. Um, but I think, yeah, a lot of the more, kitchen table ones i think probably just 
you know, had a stereo ghetto blaster or a, a dual cassette ghetto blaster and just dubbed the tapes away. Who knows? Yeah. Do it well. <laughs> I don't know. Just, just wondering. Yeah, I'm kind of curious about that too because that's I, I honestly don't know. I know I just know how the big guys did it because they actually had pictures and Rainbow actually on one of their anniversary issues actually showed their tape duplication system running. I think 80 Micro did too at one time and they're like these big tall things with dozens of cassettes around. And there's that weird disconnect where it's cheaper to make more than you need and throw away the extra is kind of the dividing line. Right. You know, for a long right. time, you, you barely make what you need and however it costs to make barely what you need is what you live. And then you go to that, well, I make 10 million and I throw for yeah. economy of scale. And that's, you know, and that's where the whole, you know, in the record industry, you have the cutouts, you know, that's what the cutouts were, were basically the ones that they threw away and they, they, you know, they, they would buy them, but, you know, retailers would buy them by the pallet and sell them for a buck or two a piece on cutout. Franklin Harris uh, of Retro Rewind in the chat says, we have five and a quarter and three and a half inch disc duplicators. So. Franklin Harris of Retro Rewind in the chat says, we have five and a quarter and three and a half inch yeah, so, um, well, I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> <laughs> were, were we doing games? Was that it, games? Yeah, oh, yeah, we're talking about games, right. Um, yeah. So does anybody else have tips or, trips, yeah. tips or tricks for Buzzworm? I guess play it on real hardware, because uh, some people were definitely, yeah. more than one was having problems with running it on emulators. I, I think it was a variety of emulators, it sounds of it. Which um, yeah, that's kind of interesting. If and also, was it Mr. Dave's uh, upgraded copy or was it? That's uh, a good question too. Copy? Yeah, I played the original because I didn't like Mr. Dave's color set. No offense, Mr. Dave. Yeah, mm -hmm. me too. I yeah. I did, but I did that just because I'm too lazy to download the file and put it on my SDC and because it's. No, I just there, saw so. screenshots and went, no, I like the, the original <laughs> black, white, red, blue better than the yellow green. As a tip, get into the tight spaces first while you're small. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's a good tip. And uh, and that's what yeah. she said. Sorry. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, missed that one. Anybody else with any tips, tricks? Uh, just Cheats? like you said, memorize, memorize, memorize the maze and and what is the best path because uh, we got what four repeating mazes and then you've got the bonus yeah. round stuff. So and don't There's eat your too young. much to memorize. Yeah, However, that, the, I screwed up the first time. The fourth maze actually you can't memorize a pattern really because it has randomly appearing walls. Oh so. right, yeah. But, but yeah, don't don't eat the egg because yeah. I I did that because I you normally when you get a bonus shape showing up you have to go get it right. Mm -hmm, yeah. <clears throat> no, read the directions in this case because actually you have to survive getting all the other pieces without eating the egg to get your free map. So you got to wonder how many people back in the day didn't read the instructions and just kept eating the egg every time, thinking it was a bonus thousand points. Yeah, I think quite a few <laughs> didn't read the instructions because they had you know extra copies. Exactly. <laughs> Made with some tape duplicator. <laughs> surplus an old mimeograph machine making duplicates of the uh, instructions <laughs> yeah, the old I believe those are called distributed stuff. backups <laughs> yeah <laughs> off-site off backups off-site backups them. yeah <laughs> <laughs> no it's a, it's a fun little game if you've if you ever played the arcade game which as I mentioned before is it's a fairly rare one I've only seen it the one arcade here yeah um, but it, it's fun It's it's got a little bit of Pac-Man and a little bit of Snake and 
you know, it came out in 80, I think the arcade was in 82 or 83 or something like that. So, And it's certainly a game that has been duplicated in different forums many, many, many times. So, yep. It's one of those games I've seen in basic a lot. Yeah. It's always a game that people try to make as an early basic game for them to learn programming and stuff. So, yeah, it's got some cutesy bits. Like uh, when you, when you finish solving it, you're, you're, rattlesnake tail there will just go shaking like crazy as you're getting your bonus points from the timer so yeah some little niceties in there so actually for a fairly budget game i i thought it was quite well done personally yeah i I, I don't agree with the rainbow reviewer on that one it sounds like he's a utility writer or something i would have given it four stars maybe three and a half if i'm on a bad day where i'm having trouble playing yeah i would say three and a half myself personally Three if it was a full price title, because it, it's not up yeah. at a Sailor Man grade level or anything. But Well, that's a, I would give it three and a half, go up to four, because it was budget a budget game and quite well done comparatively to a game you'd pay 40 bucks for. It's not that different than many games that I probably paid 40 bucks for. Yeah. And just as a side to John, something I was going to mention to you, but since you're on the show, I can actually just tell you. Um I know on the Amiga, you have an uh, option. One of your categories is public domain games, which basically stuff released for free freeware. Mm-hmm. And because Brian O'Neill and, and Chris, when they're on next week, a couple of his games were freeware, and there's quite a few others going all the way back to the CompuServe days of Coke 1 and 2. That's a category you guys should introduce on the Coke Show, I think. Uh, we would, but there, to be honest with you, there's so little interest on voting on like the well-known games that uh adding public domain i'm afraid would would make it even less you know conducive for people to uh <laughs> to vote on um so we we you know we we include public domain games we've done pack dude before i'm pretty sure um but uh we just don't want to introduce them as a separate i'd like to get rid of the public domain category in amigos we only don't because so many people are fanatical about uh public domain on the amiga side I just don't see that fanaticism dripping over to the cocoa. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Is anybody here on the panel just nuts about public domain software and would rather play that than commercially released games? I it depends on the game. We had some pretty good ones, so there's not a ton of them. I mean, this would probably be a limited time category, but uh, there was a few pretty pretty decent ones, which at the time I was surprised because they could have sold them for twenty five bucks and probably sold thousands. Hmm. But yeah, it would be a fairly limited one. But it's kind of it's kind of curious because like who's willing to make put all the effort into making a really good game and then just saying it's free here have it like Roger Taylor, Brian O'Neill, um, uh, the guy did Snakebite, can't remember the name. But there's a bunch like oh, sign had a ton of free freeware games. But even the regular ones, there was some pretty good machine language games. And I just you know it wasn't the thing I ever would have thought of doing was saying you know I'm going to put in a month or two months of, you know, five days a week effort programming a machine language game and then just giving it away back then. I mean, nowadays, because it's a hobby. Yeah, sure. But right. it really in the has 80s to be when you could have sold it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to be asking Brian about that because, I mean, his first two games, Tetra and, and Pack Dude, the original Pack Dude, he did give away for free. It was just an odd download from CompServe or Delphi, whatever, or BBS, and he was totally fine with that. Yeah. In fact, he had to be convinced from the sounds of it when we had our pre-interview there, Ken, that... Uh, he had to be convinced to sell Pack Dude Monster Maze, which actually is one of the top tier Coco Three games. So, I think that um, I think a lot, you know, at least in the Amiga world, sometimes public domain games were sort of made on spec. They were made for free to show off, you know, what could be done 
on a larger scale to a publisher, you know, almost like a demo, you know, here's a little yeah. one or two level thing. Um, and kind of like the Castle Wolfenstein thing, you can download the first episode free on the right. PC, but if you want the full thing, you got to pay for right. it. And then you get into like, what is public domain versus what is shareware and all that stuff. You know, my favorite was beerware. Beer we had a few yeah. Coca publishers that did that. You know, you send me a 12 pack of some random beer from whatever country you're from, and I just want to try it. So send me one of those. Mm-hmm. Don't need money. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, I stole you again there, Ken. Oh, no problem. No problem. So, how about Slippy? Are you ready to talk about the uh, Thursday night game on show? No? <laughs> Well, I'm going to start showing a video and you can just start talking or we'll just stare at the video blankly. Mom, um, mute, I mute off, so now I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> so here's some footage from Thursday night. Yes, we had uh, a good showing. We had five people playing at most. And uh, yeah, I did have problems with... Um, with um with the game starting yeah tetra and uh, nibbler um but eventually did get them get it started and and uh we did pretty good we also had uh tgab chris uh join us which thanks yeah first time he's been on the game on live yeah and he he pulled a buck owens kicked everyone's butt in one game <laughs> As a matter of fact, I think he scored more in one game than everyone else combined. <laughs> so Buck Owens has uh, some competition now. Yes. Um, also, we had the uh, we had a uh, special surprise that uh, uh, come on. Um, we had uh, Brian O'Neill who made Tetra, and he showed us a special surprise, which. Coco Nation show we'll be showing next week. So I'll let you uh either watch the uh, the game on challenge live to see it or you have to wait till next week to hear about it. Um we uh are hoping to get more people to come out and play. So come join us. It's not hard. You don't need any special hardware, you can even use an emulator. Or if you uh, want, you can use real hardware like uh, Ken does. Yep, it's just basically if you join the Coco Discord, <clears throat> there's a special channel for these challenges when they go on. And you just uh, share your screen or you know capture software or whatever, and there's no fees or anything. Just come and join. And I might add, you don't even actually have to um, download an emulator. You can just go to the computer archive and hit the uh, play now button and then stream that screen. Yes. What he said. said. It's it's simple. Very simple. Yes. Um, It's really easy to do. If you have problems setting it up, we can help you right there on the spot. Um. Yeah, is, um, was there any questions about the show? Uh, not well, none for me. Obviously, I'm quite familiar. I just wasn't able to make it, except in the chat there. But uh, uh, just to repeat what you guys have said many times before, I mean, we 
we have this sliding window now, so we have two games that are active every every week. Uh, it was Buzzworm and Tetra in this case here. Tetra will be part of next week, plus whatever Ken's going to surprise us with. And uh, but you can you don't have to play those two. Like like uh, you're loading up or trying to load up Pack Dude Monster Maze here, another Brian O'Neill game in this case. But uh, and you, you also had problems with that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's that's an emulator breakdown there. I think. Yeah, uh, Rob. Yeah, I had an issue uh, myself where every time I'd hit the hit the key in Tetra, it would go two instead of one. It'd be like it would be like the uh, bounce delay was was not set correctly. And uh, Kieran, yes, it is more. Hey, you can see right there where I actually hit the Powell uh, Coco three instead of the regular Coco three. This is where I was trying to get it to run. And Ken, Ken, or Ken, I have a question now. That's yours in the upper left corner we're watching right now, right? Yeah, the little one. Yeah, where, where did you get the green background from? Um, I accidentally bumped the uh, composite switch on my switcheroo. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing an RGB and I accidentally uh, flipped it over to composite. Okay, so, I was wondering because I hadn't seen that before. I was, was it some bonus level I'm unaware of? That's what I, well, because it's like, oh, wow, that turning the background green like that, that makes it kind of hard to see like, Oh, I don't like what he did there. And then I was playing through it, playing through it. And then I figured out, Oh wait, well, that was my screw up. I, I thought maybe you were feeling ill and you were, you know, you doing that thing we covered a few weeks ago where the color green actually helps you heal. There we go. So Ron, you should be staying in front of your cocoa with the green screen on for the next while here while you're recovering. Oh, there you got it working. Did you switch emulators there to do that? Uh, Slippy? Uh, no, I, uh, I'm, I think I'm still in, um, uh, what you call it at this point or no, maybe not. Sorry. It's a little blurry for me, so I can't really tell, um, back up. You can see the, 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 the menus and then you'll be able to tell not that far, just like a few seconds. Sorry, I'm not that. Uh... Yeah, are you doing? Are you uh, running this on uh, on YouTube? Yeah. Uh, the left and right buttons go forward and back uh, five seconds, and the J and oh. L do ten seconds. Yeah. See, I, I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah, I learned that when I used to do the uh, timestamps. Well, anyway. You got it working, but you had trouble going in certain directions, didn't you? On this, yes. I couldn't go left or down left or no, up and left. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. This is still XROAR. You see right there? I couldn't turn left right there, like up and to the left. It wouldn't let me do it. You have to use a jug handle if you want to make a left turn. <laughs> but I'm not Jersey. In Jersey anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, I know I've seen in the chat here that Rob Inman and and, and Kieran have been going back and forth because Rob was mentioning, yeah, he played Tetra and it worked fine on Real Coco, and he was having some issues with the keyboard there too. So it looks like uh, Kieran's going to take a look at it uh, to compare to see what what's different on the emulator because it, it definitely seems to be emulator related. Yeah, yeah. Because the thing is, is that I had no problems before because we've actually played Monster Maze. Yeah, it was a game on challenge previously. Yeah, and I've always used XROAR. So something in the recent 1.3, I think, is the current release? 
of the change of Axoria. Yeah. Yeah. Because when I did my high score, when I got up to what was it, uh, level five, I think I did. I um, I was using Xroar. So you're saying that uh, Kieran pulled a Nick Morentes and trying to fix something <laughs> broke other stuff. Yeah, that probably. To be. <laughs> The Coco Nation, where we slam our developers for releasing bugs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, you fix one bug, you, you make three more. That's the rule. <laughs> and I use the will- exact, um, disk image that I did before. So it's not like I used a newer version of, of Monster Maze or anything. Same yeah. one before. I will mention, actually, uh, <clears throat> Brian, on, on the, during the during the live show here, actually uploaded new versions i guess like the pack dude that i've got on my site and i think on the archive is 1.0 the original pack dude and he's actually got a 1.3 and it mentions that there's a few bug fixes and stuff in there but he even he doesn't remember what all changed and he's got a new version of pack dude monster maze we have 2.0 a here he's got a 2.1 a uh so he's given both those files i'll be making the disc images up hopefully this weekend because it looks like work's finally going to die down for the weekend and I'll get those up in the archive and then up on my site as well. Uh, so I, I'm not sure exactly what's changed, but uh, there will be some revisions to those. And we'll have them ready for by the time Brian and Chris are on the show next week. Okay. Excellent. Um, our, hopefully this week we will be able to um, get more more people playing and uh, get higher scores. Yes. So, uh, so Kieran, have until um, uh, Thursday <laughs> at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern U.S. time to get extra fixed. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, right. Kieran oh. is saying, oh, yes, I've definitely had problems before with Pack Dude under XWR. So, so problems hit before. Back to you, Ken. Okay, well, um, yeah, so... Hopefully see you everybody on uh, Thursday night. Let's get lots of people in here. We want to try and break the uh, system by having so many people wanting to play the game. So, Yeah, and that's not hard to do because it only takes uh, more than nine people. <laughs> uh, ten, between 10, ten and, uh, and uh, 12 is where the uh, system breaks down. And we want to break it. So yeah. come join so us. So that's our goal this week. Join us to break the system. Let's yeah. let's crash Discord. <laughs> well, no, let's crash the game on Challenge Live. Discord well, it would, yeah, it would cra- crash the Discord channel, wouldn't it? Dis- Discord crashes itself on my system. Oh, that's true. <laughs> okay, so that was uh, last week's, and let's uh, take a look at what is happening in this upcoming week. Well, um. As we've already mentioned, we are going to continue playing Tetra for one more week. So this is the game that will be ending on Friday night. And our new game that we'll be playing for the next two weeks is this one right here. Oh, that's uh, Sheldon. Sheldon McDonald's. Yep. Yep. Treasure so, Island uh, Defense, which he just recently released without requiring sound cards, and it's a yeah. free download now, I think. So that's this game. Yeah, here's the title screen, Treasure Island Defense. 
Now, I'm not sure if this is up on the archive yet, but I did get uh, permission from Sheldon, so I will actually post the disc image in the Discord channel, and I'll pin it so you can just download it straight from there because we have uh, permission from the author to do that. And he also has uh, released it uh, out on Facebook if you can find the link for that. Is, is there a manual and stuff for it too for those who have not seen the game before? I don't think so. Basically, I, shoot the, I haven't shoot played everything. it, so I don't even know what, what, what exactly you're doing here. <laughs> so you're the little gun turret on the top. Um, if anybody remembers the old Apple II game Blitzkrieg, yep, yep. <laughs> it's much like that. So uh, you've got uh, you're the little gun turret, and you've got a little pile of um, I don't know. Is my cursor showing up on screen? Yep. Yep. Okay. So it. there's a little pile of gold right here. So you actually your uh, whole island moves over to about here, and then you've got things come across the water to you, and you have to shoot them, and then uh, stuff will fly over top and drop paratroopers down to try to steal your gold. Once you lose all your gold, you're uh, dead. And there's a little sun that goes across the uh, top of the screen here to show each stage. So it's basically surviving days. And uh, yeah, that's how you play it. Just shoot it, it's, everything. it's joystick controlled or keyboard controlled? Uh, joystick controlled. Okay. I'm not and this looks sure like a Coco 3 a game. Is there, like, I know he had a Coco VJ version at one point. Is that included? Yeah, in yeah. it does work on Coco 2, but on certain things, uh, I should have looked this up. <laughs> it actually says right at the beginning of the uh, game, it's Coco 3 or I think Coco 2 with the VGA or whatever. Yeah, Coco VGA, I believe. So, so if you want to, if you run around this and so emulate, basically, you have to run Coco three. Yeah, basically run it Coco three if you is the best way to run it. So, what were you saying, Jim? Is this a newer game or an older one? Uh, it's new, a couple years. fairly new. It's probably about six months old or year, something like that. Year. Yeah, he released it on cartridge a while back for sale. Yeah, with was, actual sound hardware, so it actually had some music and stuff in the background. But this is oh, the sweet. generalized version for uh, old machines. Yeah. So it's on. The uh, Color Computer Archive as a Coco 3 Coco PSG cartridge, and it's dated uh, basically September 11th, 21. So, yeah, it's a fairly new game. Okay, well, I'll put the disk image file that he uh, released on the archive, so you can just download that. And so we should try to get him on the on show the disc, to talk the about this. Eh? Yeah, yes, we should. If, you, if you'd like to, in two weeks. I was actually going to say, I did send him a message that uh, he could join the show to talk about it when we do it. So, okay, cool. Um, I, I sent it to him on Facebook. I could get a hold of him here on Discord too, because he, he's on Discord, right? Yeah. Yes, he is. Yeah. Okay. I'll get or a faster response on Facebook. If, if he's listening right now, I'll just get a hold of me or Curtis. And... No, no, this is all year. I, I'm not the game on guy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, and we've Get interviewed him then. before, I think, on the cartridge version, so I don't need to interview him per se. It would just oh, be... we're not talking about an interview. Just get a hold of you to get uh, this, um, how to get onto the show and stuff. Oh, he's been on before, so. <sighs> not the new show. Not the Oh, new, that's uh... true. That's true. Good point. Yeah. All right. So. And David yes. Ladd just woke up. He's in the chat. Oh, morning, David. <laughs> Did you have a good nap? <laughs> 
All right, so the two games for next week are Tetra for one more week, and then we got two weeks of Treasure Island Defense. Yes. Now, is there the scoring in Treasure Island Defense? Like, I haven't played it. So yes, there is scoring. Say. Okay. Cool. As I said, it brings back uh, fond memories of playing Blitzcrank on the old Apple mm-hmm. II for yep. hours. Yeah, that was the very first high-res game on the Apple II I ever saw. Everything up to then was like Lemonade Stand and low-res graphics. So that was that was a mind-boggler for me. 1979, I think I saw it. <laughs> I just remember absolutely loving that game. So it was a it was a good game for the Apple too. Yeah, especially for that early on. Yep. All right. Well, that's all I have to say about uh, the game on challenge. So I don't know. Do we want to break or do we want to go straight into the game on news? Uh, Mister Mark break. B, what do you want to do? Short break. Make it so. Push the button, Frank. Hi, I'm Terry Stegge from Retro Tech Time and the Tandy Shack, and you're watching The Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. From the makers of the Switcheroo. Wallaby Cable, Color Computer 3 Dual RGB Cable. Get yours today at cocoman.biz. In 1988, a scandal rocked the color computer community.
to your nation. The Coco Nation News with L. Curtis Boyle. <laughs> I'm never going to get used to that. <laughs> all right, it's all yours, Curtis. <laughs> hey, you guys seen that green screen? You guys are feeling the healing vibes already? It looks uh-huh. familiar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I fooled you because this is an MC10. Uh. So... Jim Gary, um, we talked about his joypad, uh, which is basically a three-button thing that kind of simulates a gamepad. And he's been actually converting some games over to running on it that he's done previously before for the regular keyboard controls. And he did a five-pack here in this particular one, and he's actually using the basic compiler by Greg Dion at the same time. So the games are getting a bit of a speed up from the original basic versions, plus they're working with the, uh, the keypad. And he's redesigned the game so that you can, like, start the next game just with the keypad you don't have to like switch back to the keyboard so he's making it more friendly so this pack here has got five different games i'll just mute the sound here talk about it uh one of them is actually used in one of the commercials that uh, he has which is a snowboarding one um and then he's also got deep scan cave raid mount fuji and brick wall so you can see here the compiler speeds running a little bit faster and you're kind of snowboarding between trees and he's actually using the SG6 mode, I believe, here, which is why you're getting those vertical stripes. But it kind of works for trees. So, so yeah. does the trees jump out at you? Uh, like they do in real life? Depending on your perspective, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that one. And the next one is Brick Wall. Which is basically your bust out with every color that MC10 can produce. And then this one's kind of a cool one. This is the uh, Cave Raid, which is kind of like almost a scramble Sea Dragon style thing. But with the compiled version, it's actually running at a much better clip than the original did. So, And those slight pauses you see is when it's doing sound. But It's definitely got some of the tight turns like the uh, Sea Dragon game with the Coco where you have to do it just about perfectly. And there's Deep Scan, which is kind of a, uh, what's the name of it? Seawolf, I think the original arcade game this is a bit roughly based on, which is a 1970s era arcade game. Where you got a bunch of subs and stuff firing back at you, and you're firing down at them, moving at different speeds. Another one that really got a nice speed boost from the compile. And Mount Fuji is one I'd not seen before. I don't remember this one. And, you know, the main game here seems to be just ASCII character-based, though it does have a little animation of the volcano exploding. Sorry, there's a whole bunch of games there. If, if um, you want to try them and if you want to contact the gym, I think he's um, got these available for download on his site, but I haven't had a chance to check it. And also he can give you some details and try to order the gamepad from the person that actually created it because he actually got it as a complimentary one to test with. And now he's converting software over to it. So hopefully this will be on sale soon. Um, and, and basically it, it should just plug in and let you play some games. Basically, it's a three button 
keypads, you basically get a fire button and a left and right. So it won't work for, you know, games where you're moving in all four directions that easily. But uh, there's quite a few games like the scramble, you're just moving up and down style thing. And, you know, breakout, bust out type stuff, you're moving left and right. So it works really good for some games, but it, it's definitely, it looks like it'll be a bit easier than trying to hit the little keys on the MC Tank keyboard. And then the next one he converted a little bit later in the week is Space Invaders, also now recompiled. So I'll play a little bit of that. This reminds me a little bit of Nick. You did a 4K challenge way back. I think that never I yeah, don't think that's right. actually happened, but yeah. But the only thing I would add here is maybe animate the uh, aliens a bit, which I think you did in yours. Not a bad little Space Invaders game. My one's still available for download. Yeah, it's um, on your uh, site, right? My my archive site, yeah. Yeah. Next up, uh, Paul Shoemaker uploaded a video to the Facebook Coco group showing further progress on his uh, role-playing game that he's working on, which you can see is Caves 2. And it's it's really nicely presented. I, I'm really liking what, the, what this looks like. Yeah, I love the art. It looks very fast. Yeah, he's writing assembly language. So that I'm maze swinging. has the same layout as uh, Wizardry One, just about. Yeah, it's kind of like a Calabeth Wizardry One mixed together almost. And there's what your your status is, and then this. I'm still waiting to see how this uh, mechanic specifically works. It's like attack and damage. I think is what he's doing, but you have to like kind of time the balls, almost like you're trying to play golf game type thing where you do the swing and then the click back and that gives you your fading stuff. So I'm kind of curious to see how exactly that's going to work. But it looks really nice and it's it's running quick. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, actually, because that other one that he did a couple of years ago, he had to pull because of some artwork assets. He got nailed with a copyright strike. And this time it's all clean room, so it's uh, shouldn't have any of these issues. And I really wanted to play that one back in the day, too. Next up, I don't know, is Boat still on the call or did he... Uh, Go grab another drink somewhere. <laughs> I think he's gone. I was going to have him talk about this, but basically this is the uh, YouTube release of their uh, covering of Paul Thayer's Cocobon, which I think we played a little clip of it last time. Show me, show you Cocobon. It's the Coco Show, episode 40. So anyway, one thing I wanted to play a little clip of here a little bit later on is that yeah, they actually interviewed Paul Thayer uh, during the show. <laughs> so, I mean, I have a low threshold for I, I I live a pretty stress free life, as Boat will tell you. And so I don't it's, this game's the same reason I quit playing chess. I'm not good at thinking moves ahead and, and or get, I get aggravated. And a man, this game was was driving me nuts. Now, I will say it was very gratifying. It's extremely gratifying when you can get past the level, but man, the process of getting there was pretty, yep. <laughs> it was driving me nuts, man. So hey, yeah, uh, I'm actually you know, curious to know you got up to like level seven. You said, "Boat, where did you get to?" Well, you can see exactly where I where I could not get past on this playthrough. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. I I got to I think it's either level seven or level eight, but there is there's something that you've got to do that I could not figure out how to. It was it's the one Hey, I'll let you watch the, the whole thing there with the interview with Paul. The 
uh, the interview with Paul takes about the second half of the show. So, and he doesn't only talk about Kokobon and, you know, based on Picobon, et cetera, but he actually starts talking about, you know, developing. He talks about some projects that he's currently working on. So if you want a bit of a sneak preview on some certain things. So it's a, it's a, it's a cool episode. It's, it's probably, I think the first actual live interview of a developer they've had on the Coke show since they started it. I know Nick's been in the uh, chat room quite a few times, but he's been cute chicken. I mean, he's just never been on to actually talk about it. So, uh, Nick, Nick, next time you release a new game here, we're going to have to get you to to guest on there too, I think. All right. Does that mean I have to make another game? Yeah. Damn. <laughs> make, make one in OS9 just to make it special. Hey, go catch yeah. that on YouTube. If you want to catch it earlier, of course, you can do it on Twitch, which is where they live record. I think it's the third or fourth Friday of every month is when they record the show. And then it's usually released on YouTube within a week. Um, this one here, uh, Jim Gary then issued a update to Border, the game we showed earlier uh, with Smooth Scroll. And I don't remember exactly what changed there, but let's take a quick look. Does that look any smoother to you guys? Yeah. Looks like it's a little bit faster and not that uh, weird uh, banding at the bottom of the screen. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because yeah. normally you get that print where it clears the line green and then it flashes, but it looks like that's fixed. And and it's not jumping line by line. It's It's better. Oh, yeah, you're right, too. It looks like it's more going by... Outline, it's like definitely it's faster. Yeah, that's a decent little arcade game for the MC10, I think. So anyway, make sure you get the latest version, I guess is what I'm trying to tell you, if you go download it from the site. Next up, uh, John Linville is working on a game, and he's been uh, blogging about uh, this on his uh, BDG <clears throat> Tips and Tricks blog, I think it is. Uh, so he's doing a scrolling routine. This is in P-Mode 1, so it's a 3K screen, basically. Um... He's got a scrolling river here, and I'll start playing it shortly here. But uh, he's using like stack busting techniques to keep it clean. He's also over you know, laying the sprite. Now, to me, this looks a lot like River Raid on the Atari 2600. So I think that's what he's going for. He hasn't officially announced what the game is. But for you, uh, those of you that are familiar with the Atari 2600 River game by Activision, is that what this resembles to you, too? Or is that just me? Yes. Uh, that's what it reminds me of, yes. Yep. So actually, that's promising because I don't think we've really had. I've seen, I think, a basic program in Rainbow or something was trying to simulate River Raid at one point, but I don't think we've ever had really a clone of it. So that'd be a new one for the Coco. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this turns we out. So we have one that's kind of a clone of it that's set in a dungeon, and it's almost impossible to play. Oh, Dungeon Raid by Ken Kalish? Yeah, I think that might be it. Yeah, so it's one of the ones he published in the UK first. Go ahead. Is this a trick where half of the screen is mirrored, so it's double? I'm, I'm just wondering. He, I, I think that is what he's kind of doing, but that's not the ultimate plan. I think. I think he just said right. he. he well, it buys, you, it buys you speed to put foreground objects on because your background. And yeah, and it cuts memory down too because you don't have to have separate measurements for each side. You just mirror it from the middle. Cool. This will be fun. That no, looks good. So uh, kudos to John on that one. 
Um, next up, I got a three pack here. So chronologically, gaming is uh, hitting the end of November and the beginning of December. And I actually did manage to get him in some dates there from hunting through magazines and figuring out when the release dates were. A few actually had specific uh, things on uh, from announcements from the company themselves. So um, the first one here is from November of 1981. And this is when Mark Data Products first released the original text versions of Black Sanctum and Clickstow Island. And you can see one of the earlier ads there. Now, the ads from a little bit later, but um, I did not know this before. But Mark Data Products was actually selling stuff for the other 6809 systems like the SWTPC and uh, you know, gimmicks and stuff mm-hmm. like that before they got into Cocoa stuff. And these two text adventure games, Clicks to Island and Black Sanctum, they'd actually been selling for about half a year before this on the other 6809 systems. Um, I had no idea. Uh, that I found that out from going through 68 Microjournal. So they actually ported them to the Cocoa afterwards because they were used to running them on terminals, et cetera. So you get to see a very, very brief, I mean, text adventure games is not something he's going to concentrate too much on. He'll show what it looks like. If it has anything innovative in it, then he'll you know, make, dwell on it a bit more. But it's just a text adventure game. So it's a very brief playing of these two games here. So I won't bother playing the clip in this particular case. But you can take a look at those two. And then a little bit later, he did Quest. Uh, this was on actually one, actually, I remember uh, getting a copy of uh, back in the day. And uh, this one was a bit different. This was Aardvark. Now, Aardvark went through several name changes, and it depends on what year and month you pick as to what they're called. They were called Aardvark 80, Aardvark Technical Systems, uh, Aardvark something or other else. I can't remember. Um, but they did some cross-platform stuff. They did some work for the OSI machines, and the Coco at first was pretty well the main one, some TRC Model 1 and 3. Later, they expanded to the Big 20 the Commodore 64. Um, they did a mix of a lot of text adventure games written in BASIC. Uh, they did some arcade games. Dave Edson did a lot of his stuff there. We've actually covered a couple of Dave's games on the Game on Challenge. I think Tube Frenzy's one I remember. Um, but basically, Quest is uh, a kind of a semi-graphics mapped game where you're wandering around this semi-randomized map. It's 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 not totally random, but it's not completely the same every time. And your ultimate goal is to go attack a. Uh, large castle in the lower right and you have to actually get the right equipment when you're wandering around you have to get people to join your party you have to go to towns to pick up stuff you get in fights and stuff um once you expand enough and you get enough equipment then you can actually get a boat to cross the river and then you have to get stuff to be able to climb up the tower to attack it it's it's all low res so you're not getting like tons of you know graphics but for the time this this was quite different than a you know text adventure game with noun verb type thing like this this was more interactive and it was uh, you know more large map and more strategy. I remember the ads used to say it takes two to five hours to play and that roughly coincides with what I usually took to play it. It doesn't play for too long, but I, I, I think this is one you probably have not seen too often. So I'll play a little clip of it here. I'll let him show the ad bit and then I'll skip it the actual gameplay. Quest for the TRS-80 color computer. Let's take a look at Quest. Obscure because we don't have any artwork for this one. Only advertised in a magazine. We do have a manual for it though. Here is a a hand-typed manual. Looks like on a typewriter. For Quest, how do you load Quest? Jay Rattel, way to go, Robert. This is by Aardvark Technical Services. The TRS-80 color computer, we're still kind of in the infancy of the Coco, even though it was re- released a while back. But uh, the, the big hits we're going to be seeing is next year. Okay, here we go. It just starts right off the bat. So it, it, the manual didn't give us instruction of what that is. Kind of like when we played a Calabeth. 
So anyway, just just for those of you who have never played the game, for the blue band is the river, and you have to get the right equipment, like a boat, to get across. So that's one of the things you have to hunt down. You're the colon, up on the uh, just above the river there. Uh, you got mountains on the right. The equal signs are swamp, which will you know take a lot of your provisions a lot faster. Um, the black thing in the lower right corner is the tower you're ultimately trying to attack, and it's got some fairly simple commands, and then a lot of interactive stuff. Like if you encounter a party of monsters, it ask you want to fight try to be friendly or run um and depending how damaged you are that'll depend it actually does the random rolling too like you watch your dice rolls if you played rpgs like Dungeons the dragon you actually watch dice rolls for both yourself and your opponent running at the same time and you have to hit a key to stop them both so you're trying to like watch two numbers and trying to guess what would be a good time to pause it um it's actually quite a fun game i mean it's not you know ground shaking or anything but uh for a little big basic game that ran in 16k it's it's not too bad it does have a few little glitches, and this is due to the way Basic does the scroll of the screen, which we just talked about in Jim Gary's game. So sometimes, if you, in, you know, if you uh, type in something that doesn't work for the input command, like say some letters for a, a numeric input, it'll you know do that re-entry or whatever the heck the Basic says back. But basically, says you have to re-enter the value. So it scrolls the screen up, and actually, they took that in consideration. There's a special key to redraw the map, so it's in its proper spot. I mean, if you did an ML, you obviously wouldn't be doing that, but. Uh, but it's actually a fun game. And I was just curious, uh, like I know there's some RPG players on the panel here or people that have played some of the stuff like Dagger, et cetera. How many of you have ever played Quest just out of curiosity, if any, besides me? I'm well, seeing I'm a lot of shaking now. heads. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of shaking heads here. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we have soldiers. We can attack, run, or be friendly. So the game is playing similar to um, Tibble of Abshai. We're giving commands of where we want to go. And I'll just show you one of the taxis. This one's a little, little bit more one. basic than uh, the Tibble of Abshai trilogy. And so uh, let's try... I don't even know what weapons we have. Let's try be friendly. Is it B? B? F for friendly. Okay, we'll try attack then. <laughs> Oh, here we go. We're attacking. Well, it looks like B didn't work for being friendly. Let's see what happens when we attack. We're doing a luck roll, and boom. We have nine survivors. We only have two, so let's fight them again. Again, doing a luck roll like Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Knock them out. We won. We got a chainmail, plate armor, crossbows, and ready to go on. Yes. Nice. Like that gives you gives you a little bit of a feel, but there's a lot of more exploration stuff to do. You can find towns and stuff, and a lot of the things on the map you don't see until you walk across them. So there's actually some stuff you kind of discover as you're going too, which is kind of nice. It's a, a bit of adventure that way. It's not like here's the map, you know where everything is type thing. And then the last one he did is a, a cover of the. Uh, this is a game that actually I just patched, and Karen helped patch for the Dragon as well. Uh, Star Trek 3 or 4, depending on what you're talking about. It sounds like Star Trek on the original Terra City Model 1, 3, and I think the Apple 2 went through multiple versions. This was officially licensed by Paramount, too, by the way, uh, for Adventure International. And it looks like when they started adding like sound effects and a bunch of other things, the version numbers kept going up. The Coco one is called Star Trek 3 4.0. So uh, the manual here... Uh, the box you'll see, you'll see the sticker in the upper left corner says Atari. So that just happened to be the box art that we found. But the back one actually is the Coco version. So actually explains some of the Coco things. And this, as far as I know, is one of the very first 32 gay required games released on the Coco. Because this is December of 81. So like Rainbow was like 20 page Xeroxing at this point. Um, 
And I think the uh, Rick, you might remember too, or some of the other old timers here, the 32K upgrade, which didn't come out till the eboard was released. I don't think that came out till the fall of 81, didn't it? Officially? I know some hackers had done it already with, you know, Color Computer News and 16 Microjournal for upgrading beyond 16. But the original Coco 1 was only sold as 4 or 16K. And nobody knew about it. It doesn't matter when it came out. Nobody knew about it. Well, I'm trying to remember, like, Radio Shack published their yearly catalogs, the big thick things, about August, September for the following year. And I'm pretty sure I didn't actually have a chance to take a look before the show. But I think their 1982 catalog, which would have came out in August of 81, I think is the first time they advertised a 32K model. I think, but I'll have to double check. But obviously, it must have been out officially if Adventure International was bothering to sell a game requiring it. <laughs> Though they do mention on the back, there is a 16K version of this game that has no graphics, because this actually does have P-Mode 1 graphics in it. And I, I've never seen that particular version of this particular one. Um I've always just played this one. And this, out of all the Star Trek simulators I've seen on the Coco, except for maybe Space Wreck, which is kind of the arcade clone of the Wireframe 3D one, this is my favorite because it's the most extensive. It's got some machine language subroutines for doing like the warp drive effect and some sound effects. And when you fly up to a planet, it actually zooms up where it shows a picture of the planet in the background with the little enterprise in front of it. Um, when you're firing your phasers or the Klingons are firing at you, you'll see these circles coming at you in kind of a semi-3D or you're firing at them 3D. If you miss, it'll go careening off to the side and miss the ship. Like, they did put a lot of thought into this. <clears throat> so I'll skip the uh, t- you know preamble stuff talking about the directions because it's an ex- pretty extensive manual. Has optional joystick controls, too. Uh, the fixed version that will run on disk systems is on the archive now, so if you want to give it a shot. So I'll just fast forward... That's a title screen where you can see where the confusion with version numbers come in. Star Trek 3, version 4. But I'll see if I can find where he's actually... And it's going to do a scan of this quadrant. Is there anything around? No. So that's the theme of one. I guess that was it. Graphics there. <laughs> that was the, the only only one. Here. Sorry, Kat, oh no, we don't have enough energy. Everything here. is green. Sulu here. <laughs> <laughs> In space, no one can hear you green. <laughs> That's so this is the... uses a lot of power because the captain decided. Go ahead, Rick. I was just going to say this is the trek that everyone wrote on everything from mainframes to home computers, but licensed. Yeah, and, and a bit gussy. Yeah. Though. Cool. Like one thing I I don't remember if it's mentioned the manual uh, because the manual we have is not officially Coco, but the color of the Klingon ship is actually its relative strength. So a yellow Klingon is a weak one with like 500 units or less. Uh, Blue one is medium strength and I don't remember the exact numbers. And then red is like the most powerful and their phasers are more powerful if they're more powerful. So you can kind of tell when you first land in one of these sectors, like, is that somebody that I maybe I should run away and avoid for now because my energy is low? Like they added some little things like that that aren't in most of the other Star Treks that I've well, seen like out the, of this genre. The old teletype game would have a K6. And you go, okay, that's a bad Klingon. Yeah. So they're, they're actually becoming more and more inclusive of the original mainframe, you know, the, the time sharing game. Yeah, because most of the ones that I remember from the Coco, we've covered a few before, like CC Trek or Space Trek from Color Computer Magazine or. Which were smaller. Right. Yeah, and they're basically just the same game, like you said. You know, There's a one in Nitrous 90 of you that's uh, actually two or three in there, I think. 
but they're all text-based. One has color. You know, that was a big fancy thing with Eddie Collins with color. <laughs> but this one, actually, they took some time with sound effects and explosions and stuff here. I'll just... Uh, well, in depth of play, it sounds like. So you have better and weaker Klingons and so forth, which is cool. That's Yeah. Did they do big. Warp Factor 8? <laughs> okay, so let's do Red Alert. Yeah, you forgot to do that because yes. you should go in alert. with shields up, not down. We are on Red Alert. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> All right. So there again, clean on warship, reading that much energy. Got it. I think we were supposed to do the alert or go on red alert before we go in this quadrant, but I let's see what happens. I have a the joystick, so here we go. This was uh, took me a while to figure to out how that worked, because that's not on the manual. The ship. Uh moving the joystick, and it's I'm getting some reading in the top left corner, and I'm looking at my addendum. And because basically, mostly Star Trek, you punch I in a number am, from zero to eight to do uh, your I'm direction with decimals, and this ship. is adjusting it with the I joystick, and those bars is your one through eight, depending on how many uh, direction. Let's do four, I guess. Yeah, so it's full on strategy, so there's not like an action. Oh, this is really cool, though. Animation, uh oh. <laughs> They got us now. It's on the North Pole. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we know about the Klingon. It's cold in the depths of space, Nick. Wasn't that the con (laughs) quote? Something along that line. This would have been better just in standard uh, semi-graphics 4. What's that? Text mode. This would have been better if it was just done in the normal low I disagree. uh, I played a lot of those, and those get kind of dull after a while. I like the fact that he has, like... Sound effects and some three D ish looking graphics. Oh like, yeah, but I mean visually, <laughs> visually the the whole green just turns me off. Uh, the funny thing is, he has an inverse video routine built in as one of the subroutines he calls here, but he only calls it when you're looking at the long range sensors or the title screen. <laughs> so, oh, okay. So try to keep it all different instead of just text on text on text on text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like space, space. Uh, what's the one that? Jake Commander did Space Trek or something like that. Oh, he did yeah. Color Computer Magazine. Yeah, that, that he one did the low res, good. and that was actually a fairly decent one. He did semi-graphics for Yeah, or, that was a good one, yeah. Yeah, but this this one, to me, went the extra mile, and it's actually earlier. It's two years or, young, or older than that one. And I this is, one I, I, this is one of the ones I got pirated quite late. Like, I did not see it back when I was you know, playing a lot of these games in the day. Like, this was back when the Coco had basically been discontinued already when I finally got a copy of it and it only worked on cassette, which took me a bit to figure out, but uh, I was pretty impressed with it. And it, it, it was sold by venture national for multiple machines. And uh, I, I would, I'll come up to see if I can find some videos to compare with, see what the other versions look like. Anyway, chronologically gaming, he's currently in December of 1981. So this next week, I think he's going to be completing the ones he had firm dates for. <clears throat> and then he's got a backlog of over 800 games that he's got to do to finish the rest of 1981, where he didn't have firm dates. Now, a few of them, I actually did send dates. I just sent them too late because he'd already gone past that month for the Coco stuff. So there's more Coco stuff coming up. Um, but he was mentioning, like, how long is this going to take to get through everything? And he said, like, the Commodore 64 alone has 20-some-odd thousand games. The Coco's got at least 1,500 to 2,000. So, yeah. And he's got some other popular with things like Apple IIs and VIC-20s. And he's covering all the European computers, too, like the Dragon and the uh, you know BBC Micro and all that kind of stuff, too. So he's he's going to be doing this till he dies. <laughs> so, <laughs> but if you're if you're into gaming in general and and want to see you know where we came from to to where we are now, 
it's a really fun channel and he's interactive with the chat too like we are which is really cool so highly recommend his channel and he, he of course he's covering some cocoa stuff on there too so i can't wait till he gets to dagger up and see what he thinks of that which is 1982 so that should be coming up uh sometime in the next couple months and that's it for the game on news you want me to just go straight in the regular one there yep okay. already done your regular intro I don't know. I just turned away because I can't stand to watch that anymore. <laughs> watch out. We'll bring the Muppets back. <laughs> uh, where's my correct one over here? This is what happens when you badmouth the Muppets. <laughs> oh, just get sued, don't you? <clears throat> you guys seen that black screen? Yeah. So our uh, one of our guests on the Game On Challenge this past week, as well as our guest on the show last week, TJB Chris. And this is a video we actually shot while we were filming our uh, episode last week, which was installing Rick Eulens Keyfix. Keyfix 2 in this case, uh, replacement for the Mylar and the Cocoa 2 keyboards. So we did a video of him actually doing it. So Greetings, everyone. TJB Chris here. Welcome back to the channel and check out my work area. I did some consolidation and now I have... A nice little work area for stuff again. Woohoo! Anyway, today we are going to take. First of all, has anybody ever had their work area with Cocos this clean? Because I've never seen this before. It is new. He just it's did obviously it, a set. It, it, it's it's been staged. There's no way. Exactly. Yeah, I'm figuring it, it might even be a green screen at this point. <laughs> it's all CGI. <laughs> Anyways, I know some people were asking questions about this on Facebook and even in the Discord about what exactly is this. So I thought I'd play a little bit of the clip intro where he's kind of introducing the product itself. And uh, Rick, do you want me to mute Chris and you talk over or just let Chris explain it? No, just let him do it. Because I'll play that one section here, the the preview, preview, overview thingy. And then I'll let you guys go watch the rest of the actual installation, et cetera. Let's get to it. Rick can add commentary. All right, let's take a look at the key fix too. And I'm going to try and keep myself out of the shot as much as possible here. So came with... uh, Screws and some other bits, and nice high quality edge connector. These, this is a cool board. Look at this. We got switches galore and light flickering. I got new lights in here. I'll have to show you that at the end. Up, down, all these nice little things. This should keep the original feel of this keyboard and be really nice. And elsewhere, we also have in the envelope. We have instructions. Oh, and then sorry, that is a way. On one side. See, that's how easy it is. One side. And we have Genuine dot a set of screws. So let's get the Coco 2 apart. We'll get the old keyboard out. And then we'll get this together. Anyway, you guys will have to watch the rest of the video there. But it's a nice little how-to almost. I think, Rick, you can probably link to this off your page. <clears throat> for cool. people that have questions about it because it kind of shows you exactly what what it, what it does how you put it together and everything else so and i have one myself and i'm quite quite happy with it so and for those of you who don't know <clears throat> if the mylar in your keyboard is going and it's not registering keys all the time now this is kind of a replacement board and rick actually showed earlier you know what keyboards he currently has covered that are, are able to be fixed with this and replace them with real switches now you have two versions too you have a clicky keyboard like an ibm 5150 style or 5100 whatever the heck it is I they're bet. really loud key clicks and then you got yeah, a quieter one right i'll have to record the cherry numbers 
is this a brown or is this a red? I don't know. <laughs> but how, like I've, I've only played with your loud clicky one because that's what I wanted. So how much quieter is the other version? It's it's half as much. I, I originally wanted to make a keyboard that you couldn't tell wasn't the original Coco keyboard. And I never got that quiet. But it's it's quieter. Okay, and I prefer the loud. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You can't tell from the switches if it's going to be loud or quiet by by pressure or tensile strength. Nothing. You can't tell when you put it all together. Then the resonance of the board and everything all kind of does whatever it does, and uh, you get what you get. So, <laughs> okay. Helps. Also, you got a plug from Rocky Hill, Pedro himself, saying he fixes a quality product. Cool. Well, you know, I'm trying to keep things going. I mean, you can fix a Mylar for a little bit, but it's only a temporary fix at best. So I'm trying to make something that, okay, after you fix it, it's fixed for a while. You know, like yeah. yours. Yeah. Now, as discussed uh, earlier in the show, we were talking about possibly getting people that want to reserve stuff for vendors so they know what to bring to the fest so that you're not going to be short and you can't get something. Um, you're currently covering the melted keyboards, both types. And you're covering the Coco Three keyboards, and you're covering the F or the D E board, like the full connector, not the. Well, no, the I'm, I'm I'm covering the full travel keyboards. I'm working on the melties because I finally have some. Okay. Uh, and then I might get one from AC to do the F board kind of keyboard. Okay, so as it stands right now, though, it will have to be a full travel Coco Three keyboard or a Coco Three keyboard. Two or three, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd love to cover everything. That's my intentional, you know, that's my intention is to just have replacements for everything. And uh, eventually when I, you know, I'll stick it all online when I finally cover my costs and, you know. <laughs> okay. Because basically what I wanted to do is try to get people that if they do want to get one of these, maybe order them through you, but you can bring them to the fest if they're going to the fest as well. And they can just pick them up and you can save everybody's oh, shipping. Exactly. And you'll notice if you have a keyboard now, it's not made for the key switches that are on it. It's made for about seven different kinds of key switches, none of which fit. Um, but that's the intention is that, you know, at the end of the day, well, here's a board you can put surface mount or through hole or whatever and make a key switch out of it. But, you know, in the meantime, I've got to finance the next project. So we have these. <laughs> yeah. I, I highly recommend it too, just like Pedro said there, because uh, it, it my old F board keyboard, I took my old Coco 3 board because I got a couple of Ed Snyder's keyboards before you started making this. And I've inserted the Coco 3 keyboard into my Coco 1. And uh, yeah, it's it's almost as good as Ed's, Ed's with the custom keycaps and stuff. It's, it's It really feels solid. Sweet. It's definitely an improvement over the chiclet, I'll tell you. <laughs> Anyway, go check out the rest of this. If any of you are, want or are, are interested in this, this is a really good uh, video that kind of gives you an overview of what it is, how it works, how to install it, what it actually works like when it's what's done and installed too, as well as the little you know, key switch for the alt control keys for the Coco 3 uh, to double as uh, up and down arrows. If you want to play Coco 1 and 2 games that are definitely made for that keyboard layout, not the Coco 3s. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I would never put that in, but Curtis... Um, brought it up several times, and it became part of the project. And and what's and what's your website? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Computerconnect.com. Yeah, connect with one N. 
Yeah, one in. <laughs> okay, keep, there you keeping go. the tradition alive. So the <laughs> website is in the scroll on the uh, uh, main on the main screen there. Oh yeah, and I went ahead and put it in YouTube chat also. Just plus, we just have a case. lot of these links on the the Cocoa Nation site too. Do we not? Yeah, we, we do. do. There's a, a products uh, link on there. Yeah, so a lot of the vendors we have are up on there. So if anybody's looking for some of the stuff we talk about that is for sale, if you hit thecoconation.com, you should be able to find the links. Come here, you'll get there. Exactly. Okay, next up, uh, USCGPSU1 on YouTube. I uh, did an upgrade here uh, video, upgrading a 120K TerraCity Color Computer 3 to a 512K using Cloud9's Triad 512K memory upgrade, which if I remember, if you hack it and you have a DAT board, you can actually get this to run as a one meg board because I think the chips actually have a meg of RAM. They're just not enabled. <laughs> a, lot, a little bit of hackery and adding the DAT board. So it's almost like a freebie. But it will definitely upgrade to 512K very simply. Just basically unplug the old one, or sorry, unplug or take out the four original chips Clip two capacitors, plug in the satellite board, and you're done. Uh, I'll just play a little clip. This is somebody, I, I'm not sure who this is in real life. Uh, he might be somebody in our Discord for all I know. I have no idea. This is why I hate handles. But it's, it's a new one. I've never seen this particular channel before, so I wanted to give a bit of a shout out. Hi, everybody. Uh, today, we're going to be demonstrating how to upgrade a 128k color computer 3 uh, the color computer 3 um, uh, is a uh, is a home computer from the 1980s um, uh, this was my home computer uh, growing up um, I'm a huge fan of it I still I still use it every day and uh, I uh, about a year ago I purchased this which is the cloud 9 um, uh, triad 512k uh, memory module and you see, it's uh, it looks uh, pretty pretty simple to uh, just pop the chip in. And, uh, and I won't play the whole video here, but uh, if anybody's interested in that and how to install that particular product, that the instructions for the most part actually cover any of the five twelve K. If you've got a performance peripherals like some of the old school ones, the original Visto, the original Tandys, the upgrade instructions are basically the same. Um, so if you're nervous about trying it, I remember with uh, Nick Morantes and I helped Nick Morota do his five twelve K upgrade, and he was pretty nervous about it because he's not a hardware guy, he's like me, but there's no soldering. It's basically, if you can operate nail clippers and plug he in, you should be fine. He eventually put the fire out. <laughs> <laughs> that was just me pondering with a soldering iron by my head. But <clears throat> anyway, does anybody know who that channel is? Like, is he somebody that does watch our show? Or because if not, maybe I'll try to contact him and see if he wants to pop by. Wait a minute, people watch this show? Yeah, rumor has it. <laughs> Hmm. It doesn't sound like anybody knows who that is. Okay, I'll I'll see if I can contact. Let me just make a little note there, so I don't forget. With this uh, memory board, it does have one problem though. I've got the same board. If you uh, turn the computer off uh, and then turn it on again uh, to reset the cocoa, it doesn't come back on straight away. You've got to actually turn it off for uh, you know 30 well, seconds a, a it, minute it has it has a lot of retention yeah, yeah it does. they're using they're using static ram now so you have to wait for that little cap to drain completely flat yeah. and let the ram die 
So oh, we just hit the reset particular, button. Yeah, I usually yeah, just do control alt reset. I don't usually power. Yeah, that's what I always do. But yeah, if a lot of people don't realize that, they just turn it off and on, and then it doesn't right. doesn't come back uh, correctly. If you, if you stuck a wrong. battery on that puppy, you might be able to turn the cocoa off and just turn it on five hours later, and it'll still be there. I don't yeah, know, but you might could do that. It's a good board, otherwise. Yeah, and the fact it has that kind of like you get a free one meg upgrade, like Disto used to sell one megs back in the day for two hundred bucks. And basically, if you get the DAT board, which is a separate thing, um, which Cloud9 also sells because um, they use it for their two meg upgrade. Um, I can't remember what the modification was, or how complex it was. It marker Rick, do you guys remember what the? Because I know Richard the, figured it up. There's two control lines that need to come off the DAT board. I'm not sure where they would go on the uh, on the uh, triangle without here? looking at doing some probing on the circuit lines to figure out where they need to be. Yeah, because I remember Richard had told us exactly what had to be done a couple right. of years back there. And it's yeah, so the weird thing is, nowadays you can buy static RAM that is bigger than the Coco's address space for less than you could fit the right parts. So it's this is a lot of power idling. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, static RAM is faster RAM. always has been. And it was something that you know the big end, big end iron, or big iron end uh, computers like the gimmicks used, but it was hugely expensive back then. Like gimmicks is sold with you know 512k for like 4,000 US or something like that. At the same time the Coco was out, so right, we've, we've kind of come close circle because now it's it's what everybody's using <laughs> because it's cheap. Well, the the problem <laughs> is the Coco is spending so much of its time taking care of things that it no longer has to take care of. If yeah, like dynamic cocoa, RAM refresh. Yeah, if we had a cocoa that didn't do RAM refresh, it would be really snappy. But that's what the Gimme X does. It, it sneaks in oh, all yeah. that time that would have been doing RAM refresh. That's why it runs at two point eight six megahertz. It's a noticeable difference. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> also, we got uh, Karen in the chat is mentioning there's a guy on Discord with some spare five twelve k boards for sale. I think self interest here because it's made from his design. Because I do know he made his own five twelve k upgrade. Does anybody know who that is that's selling those? Because I might as well plug him. I think it. I think it's Mike Rojos. I think. Okay, so there's some alternatives there. So there's a couple places you can get five twelve k boards. Are yours ready, Mark, or do you have any in stock for sale? No, not yet. They're built, but they haven't been programmed and tested yet. So okay, still any waiting ATA for my production or? department. Hopefully oh, okay. by Cocoa Fest. Hopefully earlier, actually. But okay. Anyway, anyway, there's a couple other alternatives. If you need to, we do need to get a RAM upgrade to say run something like EOU, because uh, we basically require five twelve k because of the uh, GUI and stuff. Um, it's a nice. It's a very easy upgrade to do. Don't feel scared about it if you're not even a hardware guy, because I can do them. Right. And. Uh, and Plus the static right RAM ones like this volumes. run cool. Sorry, what was that, Jason? <laughs> you being able to do it, that just speaks volumes of the ease it is to do it. Yeah, that's ease of use. That's real ease of use. <laughs> yes. Pair <laughs> of scissors. You'll be good. <laughs> Nitrous 9 EOU has nothing on how easy this is. If you've got a full set of hair, you've got nothing to lose. Yeah. You can tell how many upgrades David Ladd's done. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm doing that because I think he's in the chat. <clears throat> anyway, on to the next one. Uh, so this is Nine Finger Tom. Now, he did a demo that we covered last week that was showing some Gimme X stuff because we were just talking about the Gimme X. Uh, this is using the VGA port. The Gimme X actually has five output, five video outputs. It's got RF. It's got composite. It's got S-video. It's got VGA. And uh, the next one I'm missing, RGB analog. It's got it all. Yep. 
<clears throat> and it's actually fixed up to to Nick's liking because every single one of those works in RGB mode. You don't need to screw around with composite. Um, so basically what this demo does here, and you'll see by the title on the lower left corner, it's a 256 by 1152 pixel, 256 color mode that he actually does a vertical scrolling on. So if you guys have seen Mr. Dave's um, game that you basically play in the emulators now, Kim Kimiko, Kim, I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, it's, it looks like kind of the background of that, except this is a 256 color mode on the Gimme X. And I thought for those of you who are still waiting for the Gimme X to come out, it would be another teaser for you just to drive you nuts. So it, it you know, kind of resembles like a VGA, the original VGA 256 color mode pictures where you're getting a fair bit of color detail and a wider palette than you normally get in the Coco. How did he uh, load that in? Was the uh, basic what he described it, it was basically loading 8K chunks of the MMU, just poking the MMU and just oh, loading right. in yeah. chunk yeah, after chunk so. after chunk. Because you can see him scan up and down through a virtual window and then he runs out at the bottom. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So that was ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. Yeah, I mean, he could have smooth scrolled it, actually. I mean, the gimme lets you you know, specify up to, what is it, a four-byte boundary or something like that, Nick? For the start address uh, on the screen? The gimme, a, a two-byte boundary. Two-byte boundary, right? Four pixels, that's what I was thinking. So, yeah, you could smooth scroll that, too. It doesn't have to be chunky. I think he just did that because you'd be here all day waiting for that 1,152 pixels to scroll by. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you wouldn't scroll two bytes. That'd be horizontal then. Yeah, no, I'm just saying like he he did it in chunks of probably like 2K or something. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's your that's your teaser, and then we have uh, next up uh, Robert Emery, uh, who's actually joined our Discord and is quite active in there, and he's also been active in the list as well. Uh, he's known as Lacoco Strangiados. We just covered his channel, I think, last week for the first time, or maybe it was two weeks ago. So he's released the first episode of what he's planning to be an entire series here called Will It Coco? So this one, he's testing an unmodified GBS 8200 on the Coco 3. And that's a, a CGA, EGA, et cetera, video converter to VGA. So I will play a little clip at the beginning, a little bit at the end to show you the result. And then you guys catch all the stuff in between and, and definitely comment on his stuff there. Because this is a good series, I think. Uh, my main interest right now is just getting RGB out of this into a VGA on a monitor. So, let's find out. Will it Coco? It will. <laughs> Spoiler alert, eh? <laughs> so at first it comes on very briefly and it's a bit off. So Yeah, he's got to get the sinks right first. Anyway, the eventual result He's got a little bit of tearing there still, but it's a little bit blurrier than uh, a proper uh, uh, RGB, but very readable though compared to trying to do this on a console. Yeah, monitor. yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> pretty close. Yeah, I, I could definitely run this on for Nitrous Nine, no problem. I wouldn't have a problem with it. Yeah, I've got one of those boards. <clears throat> there you're showing some of the uh, options that uh, he was fiddling with. 
fix some of the tearing, etc. So anyway, if you if you want to try one of these boards, a it does work, but b he actually showed you how to tweak it to get you know better results for a cocoa specifically because it's rather notorious that the cocoa's uh, sink speeds aren't exactly totally in spec. My first cocoa fest in 2018, um, Gary Becker actually showed me where to do the mods on the uh, those GSBs boards to get better signaling with the uh, cocoa. I took down some notes, but I've misplaced them since. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. If you have to find yeah. them again <laughs> and post them. Yeah, look. Yeah, yeah he added like a probably, resistor and a yeah, transistor. Yeah, and, and, and a jumper. And I think he had a, you had to yep. cut a trace on the board, put in a yeah, resistor and a yep. jumper. Well, yep, I was there. <laughs> the Coco drives its RGB so hard that it's hard to convert it back down. I think it's supposed to be dot seven tops, and the cocoa does about a volt higher than that. Yep. So nothing really wants to be able to pull it back down to sane. And so blacker than black doesn't end up being blacker than black and all these other weird issues that you wouldn't think would matter. So, yeah, I can see a resistor helping a lot. <laughs> hmm. I may have to talk to Jason. I'll, I'll do that offline about some of the dimness issues i've been having with the uh the scart converter now mind you first i have to try it with my original coco 3 because right now i've got it running on the gimme x and i might change everything too that might be part of yeah. the problem yeah. so it's it's readable but it's it's a lot darker than it should be if i'm on vga going to that but if i switch it over to composite it's fine so i'll uh i'll, I'll test yeah. it on the real one because like i said that might be a gimme x because it does redo all those connectors and how those things work um but yeah, it sounds like this might be some of the same issues I'm having. So maybe that's something. It just a, if it's just a resistor, I can maybe bring the GameX machine down and, and get it fixed or whatever. Anyway, definitely check out his channel. Subscribe to it. Sounds like he's got plans for a lot of videos. Um, I'm trying to remember. Is that the same guy that did Color Fog that Alan Huffman was just writing about on Facebook this morning? Which is kind of a disk utility for the Cocoa 3 specifically. That's all graphics mode with mice-driven stuff. Uh, for manipulating directories and things, I he did a picture of an I, I think it was Bob, I think it's his program that he did years ago. <clears throat> I, I'm imagining that Alan will be doing a follow up and kind of explain the thing. He just did a, a screenshot of it up on Facebook this morning, I think. Next up, Mikey's been very busy and he's actually been in Hong Kong, so he's kind of doing this on his time off for some reason. Um, he's actually uh, visiting there to visit his wife's family, I believe, but uh, he last uh, like four or five different videos of his vlog this week and most of it's relating to pi driveware because he's got version 0 0.6 um he was hoping to have it actually ready to release by the show today he wants more people to beta test it first i know mark you got some links from him as did i um <clears throat> so he's got a bunch of videos explaining some of the new features in point six and a few things that aren't quite ready yet as, as well if you go through the videos um he's also asked for people to test um some things out here is before he does the official release to kind of hammer on it a bit i'll have the link to that up a little bit shortly but anyway i'll just cover the videos here i won't play too much of each of them because they're they're fairly extensive and there's a lot of like showing you stuff running in the background actually how everything works so the first one up here is from fixing it up and i should also mention too <clears throat> i think we mentioned last week that point six is going to fix the problem that causes todd wallace's coco wx weather program that we've demoed before and you from not working uh that's due to a, a bug that he has fixed in point six so if you do want to grab the beta of it that should fix that program as well 
So this first one here is about printing with DriveWire. And that's, um, I'll just play a little bit at the very beginning here. Hi everybody, this is MikeyN6IL. Today I'm testing out PyDriveWire's printing feature. The printing feature has been there for a while in PyDriveWire, but it's probably not something that people think about or use very much. Now I do want to point out that this is an experimental feature of PyDriveWire, and you do need to make sure that the feature is enabled. And I will show you exactly how to do this. I won't play the, the whole thing here, but basically this is to do the printing services. So you, uh, if you print through BASIC or you print through OS9, I'll just use OS9 because it's a bit easier to explain. You do a, like a redirect a file, list a file to greater than slash P, the printer. And basically the Pi driver, if you turn this feature on in point six, will capture that data. And I think it's got two options, I think, where you can capture it as a straight text file. There's also a way to actually have it, you know, emulate some sort of printer and actually give you like a dot matrix graphical version of it or something like that, I think I've seen. So basically, if you're using stuff that does printing, like, you know, from ColorMax or Max 10 or Telewriter or whatever, you can do that kind of thing. So that's really cool if you want to, you know, blast out listings or or do some graphics stuff you want to dump into an actual file. So that was the first video released. Second one here is using SSH on the Cocoa with Pi DriveWire. Um, and that stands for, what is it, Secure? Socket layer? Yeah. Oh, well, what's or, H? No. Secure, oh, secure shell. Yeah. Secure shell, right, yeah. <laughs> It's Telnet with actual encryption point-to-point. -point. Yeah, so you go through and how to set that up. That's another thing that's not enabled by default. Well, and something that Coco could never do because it doesn't have the power to encrypt. Yeah, unless you want to really slow things down to about 110 baud. <laughs> <laughs> so he demonstrates slower. it in a couple ways here. He demonstrates it using his own DW terminal, which is the DriveWire terminal program he wrote. And this will actually run on Cocoa 1-2s or 3s. He's running the Cocoa 3 with 80 columns here, but you can actually run it on a 32-column Cocoa 1 or 2 as well. And uh, shows you how to enable it, et cetera, and then run on Cocoa 3. And they also shows you how to do it from OS 9 as well. Or Nitrous 9. Third one, <clears throat> deload. Now, this is a command that was in the Cocoa 1 and 2, and I think it was mainly used by the network controllers at Radio Shack sold, which is a way to bulk send, uh, a, say, a cassette file to 15 Cocos at once. And you would do deload, and it would download it through the serial port. Now, in the Cocoa 3, when the ROMs were kind of patched by microware, that was something they got rid of because they hadn't been selling network controllers for quite a while. And at the time, I think microware was looking at doing their own network controller. We've seen at the best every once in a while with this prototype floating around. Uh, never got made uh, besides a few prototypes, so that never happened. But basically, this lets you download stuff through the serial port. Um which can include stuff like HDB DOS. I've seen people do that. So they have a cassette-based Cocoa. They can download the operating system with DriveWire enabled, and then they can access DriveWire files as if it's a disk drive or a hard drive. So it's kind of a pretty cool solution if you don't actually have an SDC or real floppy or hard drives. So this shows uh, how to use download or deload with Pi DriveWire for the Cocoa 1 and 2. I won't play that here because that's a bit more... Uh, I guess, specialist uh, for people that are going to be doing that. But he shows you exactly how to do it, get all that stuff set up too, which is really cool. And then the last one here is one uh, he is working with Pi DriveWire for the Dragon specifically. And he mentions like the one big difference here is that 
the dragons, uh, I think he's using DOS Plus, and I think there's a couple different DOSs you can get for the dragon. But basically, their disk operating system was a lot more advanced than disk basic. Um, they actually had, you know, a sector-based map instead of a granule, and the dirt command will return the bytes size of a file. Like, there's a lot of different things in there. And so it's a quite a different thing. So you can enable that, and you can switch between the Coco and the Dragon modes. Say if you're running, you know, through a Becker port on an emulator type thing, so you can actually switch between them on the fly if you need to. And he explains how to set that up and uh, run it for the Dragon. So you can run it with a virtual Dragon 3264, and presumably the real ones too, I would guess. Um, Rocky on the shell is also saying here, <clears throat> Drivewire needs to act as a deload server to bootstrap loading HTTP DOS, which is kind of what I mentioned. That's something that I know Mikey's mentioned as well. And for those of you who want to give it a shot, and, and please note that this is beta. Most of these extra features are disabled by default. You will have to enable them manually until enough people test it that he's comfortable that it can be released to the public, and then it'll probably be defaulted on for everything, for most. You can go get it at his uh, site here, Obsolete Computer Systems, which I thought is awesome title. And um, be uh, Mark, Mark O, have you had a chance to try this yet? I don't do drive here, so. No, I haven't. I just was messing with it this morning. So I just got the links this morning, and I haven't spent any time with the Cocoa today. So, Okay. I will mention for those audio listeners here that can't see this screen, you can download the actual um, documentation for it as well. So he's actually got a manual that will explain, like, what's beta, what's not, what's enabled by default, what's not, how to set up defaults yourself, et cetera. And he's also got links to all the videos he's been doing on the new PyDriver 0.6, including the weather one we covered last week. So it's all on there. Um, hopefully enough that we can get a chance to test this, that he gets comfortable that it's ready to release because there's a few programs that you know do require a fixed version in, in 0.6. Go ahead, Mark. Are you going to add this link and the uh, direct link to the download to the uh, show notes so people can just go to the Coco Discord and go to the show show notes and then get the links for those who are listening yeah remind me at the end of the show so i don't forget <laughs> i know the video links are in there but these aren't so now that link you posted in the chat mark is that the same link we're talking about yes. or is that the one i'm yeah, showing this, right now yeah yeah this is the first link and then the other one's just a link directly to the uh, github to download it oh yeah that one there okay I will stick that in the notes right now before I forget. And I'll just re-upload them. Okay. Oh, I have it here. Duh. <laughs> Good job. <clears throat> so he's got Dragon Plus support, VDK image support, JVC image support, named object support. I'm not exactly sure what that is. That's new. SSH support, which you covered in deload. So he's got a, quite a bit of a few things in there. Do you know what this named object support? I haven't had a chance to look at the documentation whatsoever. No, not at all. That's the only thing I don't understand on there. So yeah. everything else makes sense. We're going to have to have Mikey come back on here when he's ready to make the public release. Just going to explain all the new features. So if I played all of his videos, that's an extra hour on the show, and I'm sure nobody wants that. Next up, Alan Huffman. Uh, inspired by a question on the Cocoa List email group, because there was a question from Charlie, I think it was, asking about how to do direct access, random access files in Disk Basic. And Alan hadn't done that in a while himself, and I haven't either, so I'd have to you know, try to remember it too. But basically, he did all the work for me, so here it is. Um, but basically, it's an article on exactly the difference between sequential and random access files, and then how 
how do you do that in basic? But what are the changes in syntax and how do they work? So he actually gives you some examples of going through both. Um, I remember I did use these back in the day, especially when I had my own BBS I wrote, but that's so long ago, I don't really remember. I remember how to do basic nine, obviously, but I, it's, I, I'm really rusty on the disk basic stuff. But he gives you a lot of examples and layouts of how records work and field command and et cetera. So if you want to learn how to do that kind of stuff, or you can just jump straight to a record number, grab data, put it back, almost like a mini database for yourself there. He explains with a lot of sample code exactly how to do it. You can find that on his blog at subitsoftware.com. Next up, Tier City Retro Programming is doing some more changes to uh, actually uh, his uh, second game. He's kind of doing this ghost game. Um, very lightly inspired by, uh, what's that Tier City Model 1-3 game? Uh, 13 Ghosts, I think it's called. Very lightly inspired by it. But he's decided to switch it back to a P mode 1 so he can add some color. Now, because he's using the uh, the puts with the background color, it's kind of wiping out the foreground and then redrawing the background behind. So it, it kind of corrects itself as you go. But uh, basically, he's been experimenting with the different color sets and, and seeing how that looks with a bit fatter pixels, etc. Takes less memory so he can actually... We were discussing in some of his comments there that he could actually, if he goes to a lower mode like this where it takes less pages, you could have like multiple scenes to the background pre-drawn and ready. And then you could like walk from one side of the screen that instantly would blink over to the next chunk that you'd be walking through, et cetera. So I won't play in the, the video here because we've, we've done uh, basically watching similar on his last video. But uh, this just sorts of the differences of going to the four-color mode from a two-color mode. Some of the other things he's been experimenting with, shortening some of the sound effects so it doesn't take so long, et cetera. But it's, it's been fun watching him figure out how some of this... Uh, I don't know if I call them more advanced, but different techniques that you know are a bit more unique to the Cocoa. I'm trying to remember, was there any other 8-bit that had something like a p-copy command where you could like restore a background from an unseen screen? Because I don't remember any other basic supporting something like that. I, I know some you know double buffering has been done on some other machines in machine language, but I don't remember too many basics, if any, besides Cocoa Extended that did that. Next up, now this is pretty cool. Um, Erico Montero has done absolutely gorgeous work working with semi-graphics. Uh, Nick, I know you and him were working together at, at one time in an adventure game using semi-graphics 4, I think it was. But he's really been getting into writing scripts and stuff for uh, Photoshop to be able to simulate the four-color artifacting modes on the Cocoa 1 and 2. And this is going beyond the standard, you know, two-pixel thing where you've got black, white, red, and blue. He's actually taken into consideration the other colors you get if you certain combinations of pixels together where you get like yellows and purples and cyans and stuff like that using a cross-hatching technique type thing. And he's got this, this kind of a filter thing you can run it through and you can get it to generate the equivalent black and white bitmap that the Cocoa itself would use to draw this and also the simulated colors in Photoshop. And he's talking about possibly moving over to some other things, but he's got some absolutely gorgeous looking things in there as, as demos. Now, on a real Cocoa 1 and 2, this is screenshots from Photoshop or whatever, it won't be quite as crystal clear as this, but the effect is pretty close to the same. You're still seeing these extra colors. So I thought I'll zoom up a few of these here. So you can see he's playing here with the different you know, crosshatch designs and which pixels are on and off, which colors are on and off artifacting. And you can see you're getting some of these you know, simulated yellows and cyans just by crosshatching white and blue, etc. Um this works That's perfectly the black until the what's that? This works perfectly until YouTube scales in on it and and over analyzes and then the color yeah it turns into a mess. <laughs> yeah, so we're good and then it gets bad. 
Yeah. So you can see what you would see, and then you can see what YouTube sees. So now, I'd like somebody to do with an NTSC composite monitor or you know, an RF if they got handy. I'd love to see somebody come on the show next week with some of these little graphics that he's done and actually show what it looks like on real hardware. You know, what the real artifacting would look like type thing. And here he's doing with the pure colors that he was kind of converting from. So he's done these, you know, scaled ones and then basically it interprets that as the crosshatch technique. And here he did one where he kind of simulated double dragon. So the one on the right would be the raw bitmap if you're running, say, in a, a comp or an RGB monitor on the Coco 3, it'd just be the raw black and white. It should look pretty well identical to that. Now, the one on the left is showing the artifact, simulated artifact colors. Now, it won't look quite that good on a real Coco, but it should be pretty close. You can see, like, the box in the background kind of mixture of yellows and oranges and stuff like that, just because of the cross-etching technique. And, and the, the characters actually have shading on the legs, you know, when they're walking, so you can tell which one's distant. Like, this this would look pretty darn cool, I think. Um now, because of the cross-etching technique, it's not like you can just shift every two bits for a pixel. You might have to do it in chunks of four or something to keep the color consistent as you're moving across. So the movement of some of the character stuff might not be as pixel smooth as they would be for a straight artifact color game. But it'd be kind of intriguing. If, could you pull it off actually doing artifacts like this controllably and nicely without too much jumping on a Coco 1-2 with using composite artifact, anti-SC artifacting, versus... Uh, you know, just trying to do the pure four color type mode. I'd be kind of curious to see if it would be able to pull that off. I was going to ask Nick to volunteer for that, but he, he hates artifacting, so that won't be happening. <laughs> I wonder if anyone's actually modified the Coco 1 and 2, uh, the hardware, to get the alternate artifact colors, you know, the green and... Uh, the green purple. The yeah. Yeah, because the, the deluxe Coco used to be able to do that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or was meant to be able to do that. So I thought if it's a simple mod, it'd be good if someone could come up with a mod for the Coco one that could do that. And then maybe you could map it to if there's a spare address somewhere so you could actually turn it on and off from software. Yeah, because then you could choose your color set. Do you want black, white, blue, red, or do you want black, white, purple, green? Yeah, you'd have six colors. Well, well, more than six, but yeah. This gets so complicated because back in the day, I had two RCA XL100 color televisions. One of them would do interbank in like eight colors, and one of them was four. Oh, yeah. okay. I have no. I guess I had cheap TVs because they all did the multicolor. Like Sands of Egypt was the one I always used to test colors because that had yellows, even on the splash screen. But these yellows, were the, purples, greens. These were the same model in good condition, and artifacts were still iffy. On the same model TV at the same year in the same time on period correct. So, yeah, good luck on the brown and orange. <laughs> well, the other thing, too, like especially when you're going back to TVs, the composite probably had this problem, too. I never really had a composite mark. Um, but th there's this thing called the tint control and the hue control, which everybody had set differently. Well, especially because, if this was a shared TV with your your regular TV watchers in the household, then you could have completely different colors depending on how much you crank the tint. Well, that's funny because tint was actually positioned, so the the RGB was not pixels, and the scan was not aimed at them, and the tint control sort of shifted left and right, 
So hopefully you hit the right color pixels most of the time. You know, you hit the right the right phosphor dots with the blue gun and the right phosphor dots with the green gun. So it was also variable back in the day, but you can make a beautiful picture like he's showing here. How would you reproduce that on an LCD screen? I mean, you'd need some sort of microcontroller to reinterpret to, it. I to think, reinterpret everything do. between you and the monitor. I mean, That's basically what the Gimme X and some of these other things are doing, or even MAME for that matter. That they're, they're trying, yeah. yeah. But yeah, this would be kind of cool. I mean, the, the tint controls, I remember I used to take either Sands of Eden or Donkey King, and I would adjust the hue until it looked as close to the arcade for Donkey King as I could. And that was basically what I always set by. I wanted the orange ape and the Mario with some blue in it type thing, not greenish to, or purplish. Or... And, and then when you switch back to text mode, it looked like crap, so you had to switch it back. <laughs> well, and to do your 80-column text, you use the tint control to even out the text. Because it shifted the position left and right of the phosphor and the scan. So it was really weird. But yeah, the tint control would fix your black and white text. Somewhat, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be like Coco 3 level goodness, but yeah. But, like yeah. Telewriter, if you're trying to run, say, the 85 or 64 column mode, you would kind of do those adjustments to try to get the text as clear as possible. Well, and Coco 3 into a color TV with a green screen, the tint control would make it sharp. It was a sharpener. It was really weird. I, I can't describe it further. But. I, I think that's why a lot of the programs back then chose the green screen background because you have you'd still have some artifacting. You could definitely take a look at a game that was designed for artifact colors, and you'd see kind of a bluish green or an orangish green, but it was mostly green. So it kind of like cut down the amount of artifacting, but it didn't eliminate it entirely. Right. But a lot of the text processors and stuff chose green instead of the white background specifically to cut down the artifacting, less fringing of color. Anyway, these are really good examples. I mean, this I would love to see this on a real Coco with composite and just see how how close to this does that get. Okay, next up, uh, Tom Dunk in the Coco group on Facebook. Now, he originally posted this earlier in the week, and he said he had six left of these um, Coco composite video and audio out cards. Uh, you had to populate them yourselves. And this is actually based on a schematic of Mark Data Products Universal Composite Adapter that they used to sell as a commercial product back in the mid-80s, the Coco 1 and 2. And he basically had six of these up, and they were already sold out by, I think, Wednesday or Thursday or something like that. So, um, But he mentions that this project is available at PCBWay, and there's a direct link to it here. It's also in the show notes. That you can actually you know order these boards made for you, or you can get the Gerber file and make it yourself, if that's what you're kind of into, but you have to get the parts for it. Now, does any of you had the Mark Data Products original version of this or has gotten this new one to try? I'm just kind of curious how this looks in actual life. I just got some photos here that he took. I'll see what the board first. So that's what the uh, little board looks like. And that's the results he's getting. There's the SDCs boot screen with it. And then the ordering here, you can actually order it here. And this kind of shows you where some of the wiring and stuff goes. As I mentioned here, this is a reproduction of the Universal Video Driver by Mark Data Products that was available in the early 80s. And I do remember that product being on sale. I've never seen it in action, unless I saw it at their very early Rainbow Fest and just didn't know what I was looking at. I was wondering if anybody here had tried this back in the day or has tried the new version now and see how well it works. Not I. Deathly silence is a no. 
No, she I got Ed's, Ed's composite board for the Coco 2. Yeah, I'm kind of curious how this would how this would compare with like the modern solutions because this is basically just a repro of the original Mark Data. It's not, you know, adding a microcontroller or something to adjust things. It's just the raw composite out. It looks exactly like the Coco Three circuit: three transistors, a little bit of driving, and uh, throw it all in. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there's Gerber files something here. So if you if you guys are into that kind of stuff, making your own hardware, you can actually just download this stuff and just go for it. Which is kind of cool. So it's basically an open source project, kind of. But if you want to get it pre-made, because you're like me and can't solder. Um, you well, have and it's, it's so simple. You can't kill it. You want to change it? Oh, I could kill yeah. it. Yeah. Well. <laughs> but but it's such a basic thing that it should be accomplishable and hackable for any kind of video things you want to do. This is a good way to get from what the cocoa has to what you want to make. Even yeah. if it isn't just composite video, maybe you want to do something else, but you get your signals all. Yeah. I like it. I also like his ROM upgrade. That's actually included in this picture here. That's not part of the package, but uh, is that like a 28 to 24 pin adapter? ROM? Right. Right. Yes. Actually from the way it looks, it might be a similar product to Jim brings 2364 adapter. Because that's uh, that's how you can use a twenty seven sixty four in place of those. What is it, Mark? The Motorola sixty eight seven sixty six. Yeah, something like that. Cool. Lots of sixes in it. <laughs> yeah, the one you can get versus the one you can't get. Right. Yeah, it's it's a cool project, and it's it's kind of like. Unlike most of the modern stuff where you're just kind of like solving a problem now because, you know, there's no parts and stuff available. This is actually duplicating something from back in the day. It's period correct if you're really into the period correct stuff. It's just, you know, manufactured much easier and cheaper nowadays because you have stuff like PCBOH didn't exist back then. Anyway, if, if any of you ever What's get the bottom, this... Sorry? What's the bottom picture he's got there on the, on the side? That? Yeah, just wondering if it shows all the other wires where they go. Yeah, installation. Oh, yeah, it taps off the uh, RF modulator. Period correct J clips, too. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if, every, if any of you ever gets this, I would love to get get kind of a mini review from one of you to, and maybe a bit of a demo just to show what it looks like it's, installed. His power supply is uh, uh, modded as well, it's not a transformer. Or, or is it? Am I looking yeah, at it? Yeah, it's that weird sideways one with the fuse on top. All oh, right. Okay. Yep. All right. If anybody ever gets one of these, I'd, I'd love to have you come on the show and, and give us a quick review. Uh, next up, speaking of drive wire, so we've got Mikey working on Pi drive wire and uh, adding new features, et cetera, to it. And we've also had Pedro has been busy getting DriveWire 4 working on modern Java systems. Because one of the biggest problems with DriveWire 4 is that basically it was built using a camera wood version of Java. It's quite old. And basically the newer versions of Java completely broke it. So he's gone in and, and changed things around. I know he's had to, especially on the Windows side, he's had to change some libraries that it calls 
to use different versions of those libraries that are a bit more new, a bit more compatible. And he's basically got it working now that you can actually get the official DriveWire 4 running again on the on your on your modern Windows 10 or 11 machine um, with all the DriveWire 4 features. So that supports like MIDI and TCP IP and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he's got that available for download, um, which I'm looking at the screen at the time I loaded this page up. It's already been downloaded 10 times this week. Um, I don't know, Pedro, is there anything further to say on that? I know he's been trying to make uh, versions for other systems like Linux and possibly Mac OS X as well. So this might be a good way to get the server running, you know, the Java version of Linux server running. Linux work when it works good with, uh, I put on open Java 17 and just his basic uh, setup and it worked fine. I do need to test his little icon and a setup loader uh, to make sure that can be added to the package and be reliable. Yeah. He just commented, he said, yes, it finally works. Uh, it's the serial library had to change for Windows. And I don't know if anybody's tried it on, on Mac OS 10 yet. I imagine Mikey might try it at some point to check and make sure that PyDropware is working the same way. It should. He has some Macs. Yeah, the the RT, who is it? RTX library has always been kind of weird and flaky for that thing forever. <laughs> Sorry, you can go flaky, just period. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, there's now a couple than... of DriveWire options coming out. So you got the Pi DriveWire version 0.6 once it's out of beta, which should be pretty soon. If you guys are into testing that kind of stuff, please do help Mikey test it so they can get the release done as quick as possible. And then we've got, you know, the official DriveWire 4 server has now been updated to run with more modern versions of Windows, et cetera, too. So got multiple options if you're into using DriveWire. Next up, uh, Tony Lucario, who I believe is a fellow Aussie to uh, Nick. Um, and he's, Posted on Facebook here, and it's some pictures, so unfortunately for the uh, audio listeners, you won't be able to really see what we're looking at here, but I'll, I'll read his quick little brief description. It says, my old Cocoa 3 has R32 installed under the motherboard and a dip switch slot under the Cocoa for printer with all board rates or baud rates set up. The one I still use today. So I'll click and zoom these up here so you can see he's got this connector on the bottom. Um, and then he's got to cut a hole in the bottom of the case here to have these switches to change the uh, baud rates. And he actually wrote in that little gap where the RGB cable goes through. Uh, he wrote a couple things just so we could remember what the machine for, like this 512Ks, the 1987 Gimme chip, et cetera. But then you can see at the bottom, he's got the uh, switches and then for 9600 baud, 4800 baud, et cetera. So if you want to drive a printer, you could just flip the switch and it would drive this serial printer at that baud rate. And he's got the uh, RCD card basically bolted <laughs> on the bottom of the case, it looks like here. Um, and of course, this is a PAL version, so Nick will be familiar with this. Hmm. And you can see the little dip switches up in the cutaway there. So that's kind of an interesting way to you know put in a. Uh, this is a sixty-five fifty-one based R thirty-two, so it's not a bit banger. So this would be like full speed serial without the cocoa being dragged down, trying to keep up doing one bit at a time. And your bit banger still works. So this would be nice for an OS nine system. Actually, you could run like high speed serial through this interrupt driven in the whole bit and then you got the other one for you know silver stuff that you want to do so that was kind of neat this this once again shows the the coco is one of the machines from the 8-bit era that i think it was hacked more than most uh by the hardware people to do all kinds of little projects like this next up i'm not even sure how to pronounce this name stefan machwiller sure um <laughs> And his description of this for the audio listeners, I'll just read it out because it's kind of humorous. So he says, hello, here's my little Frenchie. 
I'm looking for the video port pinout. Looks like an S-Video mini DIN socket. Thanks for your kind help. So what this is, is a French version of the Coco. Well, they called it the Coco 2. And this is a full-size white Coco 1K. So this is basically what we knew in North America as the 64K color computer. This is the one that came out in fall of 1983. was around briefly until the Coco 2 64Ks came out. And then they just kind of dropped it and went back to Coco 2s because they were cheaper manufactured. But uh, the difference is here is that they labeled it as a Coco 2. Now, they did this in Australia, too, I do believe, Nick. The full-size Coco 1 style case with the melty keyboard was called the Color Computer 2 in Australia, was it not? Yes. Well, initially, yes. And then you guys got the smaller Coco 2 to replace it. Yeah, then the, the next one came, yeah. Okay. So that that's one thing that's a little bit odd. So I'll show you the uh, little bit of a zoom up here. You can see color is spelt correctly. Um, yep. <laughs> and it doesn't I've got say 64 exact machine. What's that, Nick? I've got one of those machines exactly. I don't know if you got it exactly like this one, but we'll find out. Sorry, somebody oh, else is saying okay. something too. What was the question or comment? No. Okay. So basically, this looks like a standard 64K computer, the white case, full size, equivalent of a Coco One grade, just you know, painted white. The Melty keyboard, key. that was the first appearance of the Melty keyboard, Danny Coco. And there's a zoom up to show you the fact it's spelled right. Now, the, if I remember correctly, the North American one actually said 64K color computer. It didn't say two at all. But here's where you start to see it's a little bit different, probably than the one Nick has. This is the CCAM version. Oh, yeah. Mm. So That's this, fine. as far as I know, is only sold in France. Not to be confused with Quebec, we just had NTSC up here. But yeah, that wouldn't make sense. CCAM France. Now, in the comments, he actually posted a picture of the connector on the back. Let me see if I can find it here. It's like a mini DIN, right. I think. Well, I googled the yeah. hell out of this. It oh is, yeah, that's different. It is used for assorted video connectors. Is the only thing I could chase down. Well, it's basically, it's a primitive version of SCART. It's a Paratel cable. It's SCART RGB. So it's basically. Uh, one of Jason's boards built in. And you just had an adapter cable going out this discard, basically, you're ready to go. Yeah, S-Video. No. No, it's not S-Video. No, it's, it's not. Eight and nine pin DINs were used for assorted video that isn't S-Video. It doesn't have the little key that goes in there. Uh, I, I see. It faces down, and it, it just went nowhere. It's <laughs> CCAM is the third most common uh, video encoding technology after NTSC and PAL, which... Right, but this isn't really a CCAM connector. It was just assorted video. So who knows right. what they were chasing when they made this. Yeah. Now, one of the comments here from Phil Antonio, who's actually got one of these, from what I understand, he says it's a Paratel cable, SCART RGB. So it's actually an RGB out. It's not composite. It's not RF. It's not NTSC. It's not PAL. It's RGB. So assorted video, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I like how Europe used Channel 36. Channel 36 is so much better for these computers than 2 and 3. Yeah, you know, UHF frequencies. UHF. Yeah, the video is rock stable. There's no herringbone. It's absolutely perfect where we had to suffer with interference with the channel right next versus, to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and the computer is a multiple of the TV signal. And yeah, it was just horrible. So, yeah. Two wins. Anyway, I thought that was really cool because I've, I've not seen the French backside connector there we've seen i think yeah. the mc10 french one had something similar but 
Now, one thing I wanted to point out here is that this does not look like the French keyboard, though, because that was a Zerti keyboard, and I oh, don't right. think IOP would have been on the right-hand side. Right. Unless I'm remembering this is American, that. This is, yeah, you're right. This is that uh, stupid uh, keyboard, the first melty keyboard I showed in my thing, the the one that has the the phenology. Oh, wait, maybe I'm wrong. I'm just looking at my keyboard here, so that the, the numbers obviously are the same between both. The top row of letters has IOP at and the two arrows that matches the original. But if you look below that, beside the enter, that's an M. Oh, that's not what we have. Uh, yeah. So okay. I'm, I'm not <laughs> super familiar with these already, but I, 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 maybe this isn't. Below that keyboard. looks like a H. Or could yeah, be a H. Could be. Right. So. So this probably yeah. is an Azerty. I'd have to find a picture of an Azerty keyboard to compare, but maybe the top row, some of the keys were in the same spot as we're used to on a QWERTY keyboard, but. Uh, yeah, that's it's. I've I've never really seen one of the Coco twos. I'm gonna keep calling it a 64k Coco because I'm used to. But I've, I've never really seen well. like up yep. close. You are correct, sir. Yeah, he fits in the basement. Who lives in France? Um, says yeah, it looks like an Azerty. So I I kind of forgot that the IOP is the same between the two. So yeah, that's really cool. Um, I'd love to see what a picture looks like you know, coming out from something that basically is built in SCART natively and see what it comes out like just with an adapter right. cable. Next up, now this is not strictly COCA related, um, but it is 6809 related. And uh, this was put up by Sam Battle in the Motorola 6809, 6809, 6800, which is technically kind of wrong, 6809 is but um, basically any 6X09 chip-based uh, group. And this is using an SWTPC. And I mentioned this way at the beginning of the show. That was one of the 6809 and 6800 before that uh, based machines that was manufactured for higher end stuff. This was more like gimmicks level type stuff, like you know $5,000 machines. But what he's done here is he's hooked up his 45-year-old 6809-based SWTPC. And this would have came out a year or two before the Coco came out. So this is 1970s 6809. It was not originally intended to be plugged into synthesizer with some messing around it. Now it does. And uh, I think if, if Danny O'Connor is watching this, uh, she should probably like this video too. I know Nick, you've been fiddling with uh, basically doing what is it, the Fairlight? You're kind of He's stepping on our turf, wow. Nick. <laughs> 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 well, I don't think you guys are selling SWTPCs to run this, so nah. And the SWTPC used to run Flex or OS Nine Level One. That was its main main thing back in the day. I think the later models had MMUs and stuff too, but this, I believe, is one of the original. 64K models. Yep. So you have keys on the keyboard basically to do the different synth sounds. can't imagine trying to play something like this on a computer keyboard versus a piano keyboard and doing this well. And he's adjusting effects, you know, live with his left hand. Yeah. Yeah. I'll play the whole thing there, but uh, that's pretty yeah. cool because he's basically got this little program running on the SWTPC and he's typing in, he pre-typed in a drum pattern which it's now playing in the background on its own. 
And then he's actually hitting keys to play these other notes live while it's playing, and it's actually scrolling text on the screen, kind of showing what keys he's hit for each note. So I think is that adjusting a MIDI? No, that's is he... raw analog. Okay. Yeah, raw analog. He's got a, uh, some DACs in there that uh, uh, send out the voltages to his analog synthesizer. Ah. And that program is actually a um, sequencer, and you can... Uh, actually select of the four different channels so you can do a uh, patch build it run it and while it's running then you can also select a different channel and you can do stuff live or put something else in then mix them so you can uh, have all the channels going so i saw that video it's cool yeah now we'll mention like the the board that uh, nick and rick are working on hey your name's ryan um (laughs) doesn't require this honking big box that he's using here in the background so it's just a nice little card so you don't need something three feet high yeah (laughs) this i don't think it's real competition for you guys because i I don't think anybody wants to afford to buy this and this which probably you know even nowadays thousand dollars or so because it's all retro so here's an envelope generator nowadays it's a little smaller (laughs) (laughs) so yeah (laughs) But that's pretty cool for nineteen, you know, late seventies era six eight oh nine based machines doing pulling off that kind of a stunt. And of course, the Fairlight itself, the synthesizer, actually has a six nine for each channel, doesn't it? It has a six eight hundred. The, the first ones. Yeah, but the six eight nine models was it one per channel or was it one? Uh, the later models had six eight oh nines. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Awesome. I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly, but yeah, it had a processor on each card on each channel. Very expensive. Yeah. It was a very expensive machine. Yeah. These SWT PCs weren't cheap either if you go through the old 68 micro journals. They were cheaper than gimmicks, I do remember that. But, I mean, gimmicks started at like three, dollars $4,000 up to ten. Right. Now we get a little bit of MC10 news. So this is a YouTube short, which means it has no controls you can actually fiddle with, like to pause or to uh, skip ahead or whatever. I hate YouTube shorts, <laughs> personally. Uh, get to onto my notes here. So this is by a channel called Bits and Bytes. And this is a short of uh, booting and using an MC10 for the first time. Uh, he's got some you know background music stuff there, so I'll see if I can kill the volume after it starts playing. And maybe I can mute it. Yeah, there we go. So basically, he got one, he plugged it in. Now, you'll notice there's a ton of RF interference. He's done no mods to this at all. He just plugged it into a TV, straight out of the RF box, into a, a TV that you know handles RF, which is getting to be rare, and it's a tube TV. So he's getting, as we mentioned before, all the herringbone and all that weird crap in the background. But, I mean, basically, it worked out of the box. So that's a good thing. First time he's ever booted it up. It's readable. I mean, it's it's kind of what we looked at, as Rick was mentioning. This is what we got used to back in the day. So. <laughs> We're getting kind of spoiled with all these modern adapters and stuff now, I have to say. So basically, just, you know, he does the, the standard vanity thing where you do print whatever, go to 10 type thing. So I won't play the whole little short here, but I, I'm hoping he does some further videos actually using it now that he's actually got, you know, the machine up and running and hooked up. And he did say mention in the comments that he is planning on trying to clean up the uh, RF interference. Next up, Sina Johnson gave us an update on his port of the Gakken port of Frogger. This was a Japanese game system, a rather odd one, that used the VDG chip that the Coco has. And like the MC-10, it usually ran much lower res 
uh, and the chip is capable of, uh, UGP mode one, which is 128 by 96 by four color. And we've seen the uh, unreleased Frogger port for that. And Simon's been working on basically porting that to the MC10. Now, the original Gakken had a 6801. The command set is pretty close to a 6803, but the embedded microcontroller style stuff like interrupt timers, et cetera, there's more of them on the 6801. So there is some hardware differences that he's had to deal with. And he's been going through and he's kind of figuring at this point, he's probably going to scrap the original 6801 codes because it's using a bunch of embedded direct page and embedded um, timers and stuff that the 6803 on the MC10 does not have or does not have available anyway. So he's thinking about just grabbing the assets from the game, like grabbing the, the music bits and and the you know graphics, sprite shapes and tiles, and just rewriting it, basically the code from scratch to get around the fact that he doesn't have all these timers available. So that was kind of his little text base up. There's no graphic thing to show, and he's had a few people volunteering to help with little bits or giving suggestions. James Diffenhaver, Robert Seeks, and the other guys that are really big in the MC10 side of things. So uh, hopefully this project continues through to completion. and There'll be a, a port of what would have been an, an actual licensed version of Frogger, um, basically ported over to the MC10 using the same video and close to the same chip. So it'll be pretty cool to see that. So that's another arcade port in machine language coming over from the MC10. Um, aside from we've seen some of the recent ones like Bosconian clones and stuff. And uh, of course, there's been a Pac-Man clone and Flappy Bird clone and a bunch of other things too. So once again, the MC10 getting a lot of love. Next on to the Dragon News. So 8-Bit Shack on YouTube. And this is a new channel from what I can tell because it was only two subscribers when I saw it earlier. Now it's up to five. Um, the not unboxing of a loft find. This is the second loft find dragon we've seen in as many weeks. Uh, so this was one that would stayed up in a loft for 35 years, packed up. And he unboxes it, fires it up, and actually his his picture quality isn't too shabby. He hasn't done any hardware mods to it at this point. Um, this Dragon 32, which has been in a loft in, for 35 years. Now you're seeing a little bit of noise under the green box of the 32 by 16 screen. So he's getting a little bit, but I mean, that looks pretty darn good, to be honest. Especially considering... I've seen some other people that pull dragons out of a loft after 30 years and they have to start replacing caps and all kinds of sort of fix a power, power supply or whatever else. And this was just sort of straight out of the box, plug it in and go. And it actually came out pretty good. So he's playing and doing some follow-up videos on this as well. Now, at this point, I don't think he has any drives. I don't even know if he has a cassette recorder at this point. So uh, hopefully he hears about some of the SD card solutions for the dragon, like the Coke SDC or what's the other one called? The Native... Dragon one that also simulates cassette games. Stuff. MM, MM, MM something it was. MMC. Yeah. I can't remember the name of it, but yeah. So hopefully here's about some of those that he can skip trying to load off real cassette. <laughs> anyway, go check out the video. It's kind of, kind of, kind of cool just seeing, you know, him unboxing and kind of explaining the bit of the history of the dragon, et cetera. Next up, we got an update from Julian Brown. Now, Julian is one of the two people working on doing modern duplications of the original Dragon 32 and 64 motherboards. Julian's doing the 32. Karen, the guy, author, Extror, is doing the 64 one. And I, they both hit milestones recently where everything seems to be working. Julian ordered some uh, what he hopes to be the last generation of the boards for testing. And he wasn't expecting to get these for a couple weeks. They actually came in on January 26th, so they came in on Thursday. So I'm guessing 
he's probably going to be working on this this weekend. So we should have an update by next week as to whether the latest board revision works or if he has to still bodge wire it. If it's only one or two, he might just leave it that way. If it's a lot of bodge wiring, he might have to order a new set. But uh, just like Pedro's been doing with the Cocoa 2s and 3s here, it's really cool seeing that we're getting these duplicate motherboards. Now we've got the kit that Brian Weasler has that we can get some information of too to duplicate these. So hopefully the Cocoa shortages and the Cocoa $500 Cocoa 3s and eBay hopefully will become a thing of the past here because people will just buy new stuff and uh, basically have the same literal functionality because it's basically a duplicate of the original motherboard. And the last one here, I'm going to have to do this in two parts. So the first part here, I'll show you the Facebook post, which is what I saw first. So Tony Vincent of the Dragon Group on Facebook says, the first day of opening at the Northwest Computer Museum, this is up in the UK, all hands on exhibits and Dragon 32 and Coco side by side. Ashamed to say I did Google the syntax for the line command, forgot the P set. Much better picture on the Coco, that's surprising. Uh, Dragon using RF out and might need its pot adjusting. Anyway, well worth the trip if you're in the... Wigan Lay area. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing those correctly. Wigan. Wigan? It? it could be. I have no idea. I think. So this is a, what he's talking about doing a line demo. So he's got the Coco doing vertical and horizontal lines or maybe boxes. And then the Dragon, he's got a bunch of diagonal lines all running in P mode 3. So you can kind of just see it and it just runs. And then he took a shot of some of the rest of the museum. You kind of get an idea of a bunch of little PCs and you know, BBC Micro's even got some printers and stuff here. All the old CRTs. I don't see too many, you know, modern LED-based uh, TVs, et cetera, here. So it's definitely period correct, I would say. Now, one of the guys on the Amigos Discord, Mitsuyama, was also at this opening the same day as Tony was. And he took a whole whack load of pictures. So I'll, I'll show you those shortly. I'll switch over to Discord to show you those. But he mentioned... Um, not all of the machines were hands-on. There was some stuff that apparently you could only just view. I don't know if it's rare machines or maybe they just had time to hook up or depend, it might have depend on what time of the day he got there. Um, but let's see if I can get over here and switch. I'll probably have to... I don't stop sure to start it. Okay, are you guys seeing that? Yep. Okay. So, <clears throat> just to read a text here for the audio listeners here, too. He's uh, Mitsuyama says, I spent a couple of hours at the Northwest Computer Museum this morning. It was a little smaller than what I was expecting. There's a good selection of retro computers, although not all of them were powered on to use. I imagine that this will improve over time, as today was a soft launch, so it's not even the official launch date. Uh, it's worth a visit if you're in the area, but it's probably not something you'd make a trip out to see. And if they get more stuff in there, it might be. Or if you've never seen a lot of these old machines, it might be worth a trip anyway. So they've got a section here with electronic components and kits. Um, Discord doesn't have a fast board, but sorry. Here's some uh, an exhibit of the original boxes that some of these machines came in. So they've got the Calmeter Amiga 500, the Radio Shack Tier City Color Computer, the Dragon 32. Um, some ZXs, TIs, Spectrums, Lynx, Amiga 570, Toshibas. So it's kind of cool. This is something I've not really seen too many people like put together. It's not the computers themselves, which we've seen at quite a few computer museums or BCFs or whatever, but the original boxes they came in. So you can see how the designs of the boxes change. And most of them have photos, and, and the original Coco 1 did not. 
Go ahead. I have to admit, the 994A had the nicest computer box. They were they were pushing Apple for their day. It was a beautiful box. It was well photographed. It was big. It was glossy. The insides were nice. Yeah, and the, and the Tandy ones, like the original color of Computer One, they just had text, basically. They had the red, yeah, it was you know, fragile, and then they just had Radio Shector, so they got the computer. Coco 2s and 3s, they actually had a kind of a reddish drawing of the computer, at least, so you can kind of see what you're getting. And the Dragon 32 followed that mold. They just had the Dragon logo all over the place and the word Dragon 32. Now, Nick, I think you guys had multicolored boxes in Australia, didn't you? You have red, blue, and white or something? Uh... No, it was just red and white as well. I oh, think okay. we had the same for the Coco 3 anyway. Two um, yeah. No, our Coco 1 boxes were essentially the same as the one in the picture there. Okay. Because I've seen pictures of some Coco boxes. No, oh, the colored ones. No, that was that was for a Christmas pack. So it was a, a Christmas bundle. And ah, you put, that's yeah, the cocoa in a, in its own box went into that, as well as the cassette player software. It was part of a Christmas promo pack. It wasn't the actual computer bo- only box. Just like okay, the commercial we have. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I remember seeing uh, like there's a multicolored one. I mean, yeah, I, no, that's... I have a Coco three box that is red, white, and blue. Oh, you do. Is it yeah. a North American one, or is it from somewhere yes. else? No, it's, it's North America. It's American. It a, yep, it yeah, was, it's a two-color uh, box, though. It's, yeah, it's two-color, but, you know, the box is white. So, yes, I do I do have a, a multicolor box. Okay. I, was that just, like, later I, on, or was that for, like, a Christmas special? Like, well, they time? did that. It's the same cardboard box, but instead of red and black, they used red and blue. I think it was later on, because I don't I don't think I've we got, got so. Coco 3 until, it, it, until later on. Yeah, I okay. think the early Coco 3s are Korean-made. And I know in the Coco 2s, all the Korean Coco 2 boxes I have are just white with slick, uh, sorry, red on like a slick white, whereas mm-hmm. the uh, Coco 3 box I have is uh, red, white, and blue, but it's on a just a paper, not a slick paper. But like not glossed box. over. Right. Not, yeah, not right. glossed, okay. yeah. So the, they're uh, very yeah, distinctly yeah. different when you touch them or when you look at them. Yeah, I think we had that too, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to check to see what he's got for. Where did my window go? There we are. Cool. I lost my Zoom. <laughs> I'm doing well today. Uh, Zoom hasn't lost you, so just fake it. So there's a nice shot down the table. You can even see the oh. uh, the sign in the back window there. And, you know, chairs are set up uh, for some of the ones you can you actually play around with. It looks like some of the stuff in the middle table is not turned on, plugged in. Um, but basically, just to show you, like, there's a whole bunch of Macs in the foreground there. You can see some of the, like, the G3 educational iMac or eMac, as I think it was called, and some of the old power books, et cetera. I have to get used to the fact that all these interfaces are different between programs here. It's a pain in the butt. I like the wall art. Yeah. 
No, it's a, it looks like a nice little museum. It's not, as the one person mentioned, it's not huge. But it doesn't look bad at all. I, I, if I was in the neighborhood, I would definitely go see it. Where is it located? In the UK? How did you pronounce that, Nick? <laughs> uh, Wigan or whatever the heck it was? Oh, yeah. that's the name of the town. Okay. Area. Okay. Um, BBC's. Old roll. These are these are the hands-on ones you can fiddle with. That'd have been like a classroom setup, probably. And here's the same display that uh, was shown in in the uh, Dragon uh, Facebook group uh, with the Coco One on the left, and then you can kind of see the manual for the or one of the books for the Dragon on the right of that, but kind of showing the original Coco One. Uh, this is, looks like an F board, judging by the centered Radio Shack symbol and no. K RAM sticker thingy on the or button on the top right. Lightly <laughs> used one one uh, cord scar and nice. And then this is just the in joke because they always yell this at the end of the Coco show. <laughs> <laughs> Someday I'll make it there. And here it is next to its Welsh cousin, as they put it, so the Dragon Thirty Two. With the uh, much, much better keyboard. North Star Horizon, which that's an ADM380A terminal. We had these at work. I remember these well. Everyone had ADM3As. Yeah. We actually had ours hooked up to the Coco. <laughs> so I mentioned I would be uh, showing his pictures on here. He said he took a ton of others here, but he just didn't want to flood the channel. So that's. Uh, some of the pictures he took. Anyway, if you guys are into a variety of machines here, uh, if you become a Patreon to the, any of the Amigo shows, uh, you get access to their Discord. You can join in voting on, on what games they play for every one of their platforms. So a little bit of a plug for them. And that's it for the news. Oh, oh I had to wake up Mark first. I keep forgetting I have to do that. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> the show started. <laughs> oh, I'm up. I'm up. I'm awake. <laughs> oh, so um, what do you want to do next? <laughs> I think we've pretty well covered everything, honestly. I accept a plug for next week. Um, we're going to have Brian O'Neill, the author of Tetra, that is our game on challenge. Also the author of the original pack, dude. Uh, both of those were public domain freeware games. And also the, him and Chris Spry, who is uh, from Ken. I'm trying to remember. They said at the time, Packed Monster Maze was done. I think Brian was 18 and Chris was 16. Something like that. Yeah. They're both still teenagers. Yeah. And this is already like the third game that Brian has done in three years was Packed Dude Monster Maze, which is a 512K uh, full background music playing in the background while you're playing hardware, horizontal and vertical scrolling. One of the very few Coco three games I know of that did that, um, especially for back then. And, and actually one of the premier titles, to be honest, I would rank it up pretty close to stuff like crystal city and Xenix and some of the other big, big titles on the Coco three or photon or whatever. Uh, but we're gonna have both of them on as our guests for an interview. So if you have any questions about the game that we're playing this week or the pack dude monster that we played probably about a year ago or something. And pack dude the original, which we have not played yet. Um, have your questions ready for next week, and you can ask them either through the chat or on the panel. Mm. 
I'm not, I don't have anything else. I, I'm, unless somebody else has anything special to add here, I think that's pretty well the show for this week. Oh, uh, I should do it. I guess let me push this button over here. Yes. Yeah. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation Show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song, copyright 2022, D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Uh, the greater Manchester area. Oh, for the we're, show. we're back. Okay, so till next week. Yep, till next week. Okay. And then I should mention this. We haven't got anything planned for this as far as I know, unless you guys, I've been busy with work, so maybe I've missed it. But not next week, but the week after is the 300th episode. Are we doing anything for that? <laughs> <laughs> Saying it's a 300 episode. <laughs> Party. Amazing, amazing we've made it this far. Right? We ain't dead yet. <laughs> Who's bringing I don't know if anybody cake? wants to do any special graphics or you know, write a song or you know do a little dance for us on the 300th episode. But Oh, uh, my God. Yes, you're the music <laughs> guy. It'd be great to have a montage of the previous 100 like we had at the 200. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. That would be hey. Brian from Australia's doing. Brian Joyce. Is he still active? Because I haven't heard from him in a long time. Nope, I haven't either. And, and hopefully we won't add the cat barf to it. Right. Well, <laughs> your that bed, was a highlight. Your bedspread's looking really nice so far. But... I think 100 yeah. episodes of cat barf uh, highlights. <laughs> I, I noticed uh, Ron's not uh, has dropped off. I yeah, think yeah he's, he, he's uh, sick though right now, so I, I wasn't expecting yeah, him to stick around too long. I think COVID got to him. Yep. Yeah, him and his wife both. His wife got it first, and then yeah, he got it. But uh, he's starting to recover now, so hopefully it doesn't last too long. Yeah, at best it's the flu. So let's hope it's the flu, and they'll get over it, and life goes on. Frank Lynn Harris is sweetening the pot. He says, let's give away some retro rewind gift certificates. Oh, there's an idea. Mm. See, now there's actually a reason to watch the show. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Sorry, Rocky. You have something to gain. Okay. Do, you, do you have anything special as far as a game pick uh, for the 300th episode, Ken? Well, apparently I chose Treasure Island uh, for one that'll end on the 300th episode. No, I, I thought maybe you might pick one to start on the 300th though, to kind oh. of celebrate. I don't know if, um, what, what, what that might oh, be, but... Yeah. Predator. I have to pick a game? <laughs> Predator, uh, narrated <laughs> by David Ladd. Right. Pick something evil. <laughs> Indeed. No, don't even get me started, Nick. <laughs> Do you know how? Actually, we'll, we'll have a head-to-head, David Ladd and Mr. Dave. Because Mr. Dave likes Predator, and David Ladd hates it. So let's have the two of them play head-to-head and, and just argue it out. That'd be fun. Just live <laughs> on the Dave's show. Mr. Dave's probably going to modify oh, his. Okay. 
Anyway, I, I kind of forgot it was a 300th episode coming up, so I didn't I, I didn't have any plans for it. And if, the way it works, I'm not going to have any time to do anything anyway. But uh, I just thought I'd throw it out there. It's only a couple weeks away. If you guys want to come up with something special, maybe like pick a favorite part of the last 100 episodes, like you said, because we kind of did a 200 that covered the previous ones. Are you uh, going to kind of Are you even going to be here up. that day? Oh, so is this your? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I have a calendar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see. Next week is the fourth, and then the eleventh is the. No, nope, my funeral's on the eighteenth. So. Well, not my it's funeral, not personally. your funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about some pre-planning here. That's right. He's got it planned. <laughs> but keep watching. Whether the show, you I might need want to it or not, all. your funeral is that day. There's, there's your spoiler. <laughs> That's pretty tacky to plan your funeral before your uncle's. And, right. <laughs> and by the way, can you keep the light, the latest Arctic blast up there north of the border? That one came from Russia. I don't need it down here. Right? <laughs> Russia had the super cold weather. They had, the, I think, the record in 100 years or something in somewhere in Siberia. And that actually crawled over the North Pole and hit us. Oh, yes. Yeah, so you can blame them. News, That's not us this time. Our news programs here have been having a blast with that. It's just like... Uh, cold front from art from Russia invading Canada. <laughs> really? well, Russia invading Canada, right? Yeah. <laughs> Can okay. we nuke it like you guys were planning to do with a hurricane a couple years back? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I better get going. So, so wave we'll goodbye. Start. We'll push the button. All right. Okay. Later. Bye. See you all next week. Bye, everyone. everyone. See you. Goodbye. Goodbye.